The electric chair, a visceral experience. Hello, one and all, welcome to The Electric Chair. My name is Midnight Corey. I'm your host this week. I appreciate that you are here. Thank you for listening, as always. Another great show for you this week. Going to be real long, as always, um, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and I can't wait for you to hear the greatness that's going on this week. Um, first of all, something really exciting is that I got a voicemail line, so you can actually call in. It's one of the free K7 things, so you got to deal with that, but, uh, you know, hey, what can you do? Um, the number is 206-337-5096. Uh, I announced this on Twitter this week, and I think maybe Facebook as well. But that is really exciting, so call in and let me know what you think. Um, and actually, somebody did that this week. We're going to be getting to that here in a moment. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to read you an email that was sent to me by Alan. Uh, um, he, he's a, a listener that's been uh, you know around since back in the days of the Midnight Podcast, and uh, I really appreciate that he's uh, been there listening. But uh, dude, Alan is a fantastic guy. Actually, I hear him on the Corpse Cast calling in there an awful lot. But uh, Alan wrote to me this week. He says, "Dude, it's good to have you back on the airwaves. I might have missed the show before this one, but I'm really, really digging the electric chair. The long format is great." because it just about gets me through a full day's work. I'd send a voicemail, but I'm not sure how. Anyway, man, thanks for the shows, and keep up the good work. Alan. Well, Alan, as I said, dude, I got a voicemail line, so now you can call in, and I hope to hear from you. Um, but, uh, yeah, the show before this one, yeah, don't worry about it. This is the only show that really matters, so that's, that's all good. <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate that you listen to me, man. Um, and, uh, dude, you got to tell me uh, where you work. Um, because I want your job, you know, full day's work is, uh, you know, only what, three or four hours, the length of the, uh, electric chair episode. <laughs> dude, I want that job. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, uh, dude, um, again, always great to hear from you, man. And, uh, I appreciate the feedback. So let's move to some audio voicemail now. Um, my friend, Mike from evil episodes, you know, Mike, great guy. Um, he actually used the voicemail uploader that I have on the contact page, of uh, the Electric Chair Show site, and um, so it actually works. <laughs> but uh, Mike sent me an MP3. Let's listen to him. Well, hey there, Corey. This is uh, Mike from Evil Episodes podcast and evilepisodes.com. Just checking in, um, trying out your little voicemail uploading utility or tool on your website. Um, I suppose if this is playing on the podcast now, then it then it worked. Hey, I just wanted to check in and let you know that I've been loving the show lately. You've been having tons of different guests. I'm going to be down in a couple weeks in Los Angeles, making the drive down there for the Viscera Film Festival. It's going to be pretty exciting to get to cover that with... Uh, Jamie, who's uh, the head of marketing there, so when I go to pick up the press pass, I'll actually be snatching it up from her uh, when I check in, so I'll actually be meeting the new co-host of the show in person for the first time, so looking forward to that, um, looking forward to the event, uh, uh, 
Women in, Ho- Women in Horror. There's going to be a bunch of cool horror shorts. Uh, Danielle Harris is debuting her new flick, Among Friends. So that should be pretty awesome. And I mean, even for you know, for paying customers, it's eleven bucks. Eleven bucks for the entire event, which includes the after party. You know, eleven dollars will barely get you into a single movie these days. You know, at your normal chain movie theater. So, eleven dollars for an all-day event—that's pretty wild, if you ask me. Um, so, hey, I mean, I guess if any of your listeners are in the Los Angeles area or outlying areas. They should try to make it down there to the Egyptian Theater on Saturday, July 7th for the Viscera Film Festival. So, uh, I was checking out your, uh, your teaser, the Electric Chair 2D teaser. Awesome stuff. Uh, I'm sure there's tons of speculation about what's it, what, it, what exactly is it going to be. Maybe uh, are you introducing a video podcast? to the site possibly you're uh, making a short film I remember some time ago you were working on the the one man film where I, th- I believe you by yourself were doing every aspect of it and you were kind of giving us updates for a while um, maybe you're picking that up again I don't know but uh, the teaser was great um, and I love that you emphasize 2D and I'm, I'm just wondering Will there be a surcharge for the 2D? You know how filmmakers these days, they, they want to find any excuse to add on a, a special charge, you know, for our pleasure, of course. For our viewing pleasure. So, uh, I can't wait to hear more news on that. Um, it says coming soon, so I'll be keeping the eyes peeled for any updates on the electric chair 2D. So, I mean, I guess I'll finish this voicemail, not make it too long. Uh, I'll finish it off with a mini beer review, Um, I guess for old times' sake. I had a chance to pick up Newcastle's Summer Ale, and, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Newcastle's regular brown ale. So, I'd been to the store a few times before and seen this on the rack, and I was kind of tempted, but... You know, I had something else in mind, and you know how Newcastle tends to be on the pricier side. So I would always pass it, but, you know, with the weather getting hotter, looking for something lighter, I was like, well, I guess now's a good time to try it. And uh, first thing, I mean, the label says hops and glory. Now, immediately that's going to catch me because, you know, I'm an IP, I'm a hops guy. You know, sometimes if I'm in the mood, the hoppier the better. So, uh, here's, here's the first sip. Ready? Ah. Well, I can tell you right off the bat from the first impressions, I don't get too much of a hoppy taste. Um, so I would, I would say immediately the, the whole hops and glory tag on this is a little misleading, or I should say a lot misleading. Um, also, this this is a lot lighter than the brown ale. Um, I mean, I was kind of expecting that going in the summer ale. It's kind of on the sweet side. Um, I'm not sure if you're a fan of you know the sweeter tasting beers, but it's definitely on the sweeter side. And 
it finishes it finishes kind of nice it, not too much of an aftertaste it goes down pretty smooth let's get another sip here yeah I'm drinking it out of the bottle yeah on the, on the back of the bottle too there's a big backstory to the hops or the hoppings in this but I, I don't really taste them I mean there's a real subtle hoppiness to it but it's really subtle um, but for you know for a lighter beer thinking like maybe like a Hefeweizen type of beer but a little sweeter it's a little bit heavier than you know a blonde ale but maybe a nice little medium medium between a blonde ale and like a brown ale so uh, I don't know man I mean if, if you're in the mood to try something new let me know what you think. It's, it's definitely different. Uh, keep up the good work on the electric chair. I can't wait to, to get back on the show sometime and also have you back on my show sometime. Um, it's always it's always a, a fun time. So anytime, just let me know, and I will talk to you next time. Mike, I am so jealous of you. Uh, you'll be at the Viscera Film Festival, and uh, you get to actually meet Jamie in person. And as a matter of fact, this week I'm talking uh, with uh, some of the other um, representatives uh, from Viscera, but uh, that is really, really cool, dude. You're going to have to let me know how things go. Um, and, um, yeah, as far as the electric chair 2D, hmm, hmm, one can only speculate at this point. You know, my legal department hasn't uh, okayed it for me to, uh, you know, release specifics on it but as soon as i can i'm there i'm just i'm just waiting the word from my attorneys yeah <laughs> and uh you know hey i may have to you know surcharge uh for the 2d like you said you know times are tough and um like i said i'm trying to get my podcasting strategy model that after uh what the theaters are doing the big uh, hollywood uh companies and distributors and everything are doing uh to uh film viewers in the theater, I'm trying to model this show after that. So, uh, yeah, who knows? You might have to, might have to send me money, give you know, buy me things <laughs> for for the privilege of hearing me and and whatever. So, oh. but dude, thank you for the beer review. That was great. Um, and Newcastle, you know, I I, I dig the Newcastle Brown Ale, um, but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a real like sweet beer kind of guy. Um, I like it bitter. I'm a bitter guy, <laughs> and, uh, and no, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of Hefeweizens at all, so, um, you know, yeah, what can you do, but uh, I really appreciate that. I might give it a try. I mean, I like I like summer ales, you know, um, just not, not real, real sweet, um, but, uh, dude, it was awesome hearing from you, Mike, and uh, thank you again. Uh, next up, let's go to the very first person who used the voicemail line, uh, and that is Gabby. Hey, it's me, Gabby. I'm just calling in to say how much I adore and love the uh, Electric Chair podcast. Um, it totally rocks. You know, I'm, I'm from back in the day of the older podcast, um, but I think this podcast rocks just so hardcore. Um, I'm always amazed at the level of uh, the quality and the level of guests you have on your show. I'm just like, I'm flabbergasted. I'm amazed. Like, how do you get all these cool people to come on your show? That's so awesome. Um, so I, I love it. I enjoy it. Your podcast is off the hook. Can't wait, uh, to hear more. 
Now I'm going to go check out streaming Netflix and a movie called Gangs of the Dead. Uh, hopefully it is good, but who knows? Uh, okay, keep up the great work. Bye. Oh, Gabby, you are too kind. Thank you for calling in, and thank you for all the compliments. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, you asked how I get all the guests. And, uh, well, to be honest with you, it's voodoo. Yes, I have, you know, the voodoo dolls, and, uh, you know, I have bits of hair and, and things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have little potions that I whip up, and uh, that's how I convince people uh, to come on the show. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't. Um, so I use, uh, you know, black magic and things like that to, uh, to sway people to convince them to come on. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, but thank you for listening, Gabby. You're another one, you know, you've, you've been around since the midnight podcast days and, and, uh, I appreciate, uh, that you've stuck with it and, uh, that you're still listening. So very, very awesome. And I'm sorry you're, you're going to watch Gangs of the Dead. That's, that's kind of rough. <laughs> Oh, the final piece of feedback this week comes from Johnny T, the man. Hey, Midnight Corey, it's Johnny T again, the only person in the world that drops a VM. Come on, people, get on it. It's worth it. Um, yeah, thanks for playing my voicemail again. I missed out on uh, one of your other shows, but uh, catching up with it now. And you know about the length of the show being too long? Nah, man, it's perfect. Um, some days I have to get a bus home, so it's like an hour there, an hour back. So two days, four-hour shows, fantastic, man. And um, reference show with Vaughan, I did actually get to see Anthropicus the Beast and Absurd. Uh, absolutely insane, man, but absolutely brilliant at the same time, you know. Uh, really good stuff. And George Eastman, what a freaky looking guy. Uh, I've looked into some of Joe D'Amato's other stuff. Um, not really too sure about any of it, to be honest, but then again, I need to probably go back and listen to some of Vaughan's shows and things and uh, get it on that. And you also asked if I'd ever seen Colin. And uh, yeah, I have indeed, man. Yeah, yeah, brilliant little film that was. Um, I'm quite surprised actually because I've been looking on IMDb, which I'm looking at now, um, and the director Mark Price. Not really done a lot since Colin. Uh, he did a short called The End in 2010, uh, and he's doing uh, another film that's coming out here called Magpie, which uh, apparently is about a guy where his son dies, and then at the funeral he goes in to take his son's corpse and then goes on a road trip. So it's supposed to be like a bit of a goofy kind of horror kind of slash thing, but it'd be interesting to see what it does because. Like that and um, the zombie diaries, I thought that they took like a different uh, take on the actual zombie genre. You know, pushed it that a little bit further, made it a little bit more interesting. You know, rather than like I was discussing with you before about, you know, like stuff like War of the Dead and Army of the Dead. That's just like of the dead, you know what I mean? And uh, shit like that. So anyway, guy, you keep on the uh, great work and stuff and I'll keep calling in, man, as long as you'll have me. And you take care and I'll speak to you soon then. All right, bye. Hey, Johnny T, thank you again. I love hearing from you, man. You know it. Uh, you're going for the, the record here for <laughs> uh, sending in uh, voicemails and things. Of course, we did have some other people this week, which is awesome. Um, but, dude, of course, like I said, you, it, it's always very much appreciated to hear from you. Um, I'm glad that you watched uh, Anthropophagus and Absurd Crazy Films. <laughs> As I said, but I love them. I really love them. I'm glad. It sounds like you enjoyed them too. Um, and Colin, uh, you know, I again, I think that's a brilliant film. I know Vaughn was uh, just recording with the the zombie mob here about Colin, um, and people are real divided over this, love it or hate it. And uh, man, I I really love it. I think uh, I think Vaughn does too. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'm really um, I'm kind of baffled that uh, Mark Price hasn't done much. Since then, and uh, he's done a couple things, like you said, but nothing real heavy. And uh, 
I was thinking he was on his way to, to great things, you know, bigger and better things. But, uh, hey, you know, that's not the way it always works out. And uh, But Mark Price is a great guy. I got to talk to him on the on the show here not long ago. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just uh, just well, on the Midnight Podcast, I mean. But, uh, yeah, so Johnny T, thank you. Gabby, Mike, Allen, I, I appreciate the feedback as always. And I encourage everyone listening out there to uh, send some in. So, uh, this week, great, great things. First of all, uh, I'm talking with Shannon and Heidi uh, from the Viscera Film Festival, of course. Uh, Shannon Lark and Heidi Honeycutt. Uh, great people. Viscera is a great organization, so we find out more about Viscera. We find out about the film festival. But, you know, as seems to happen in a lot of my interviews, we kind of veer off into something completely different than where we started. <laughs> you know, I, I tend to wonder. But the conversation just kind of kind of, of, of went crazy places and uh, we end up getting pretty deep and talking about some really uh, this really pressing issues, important things going on right now in the world. And uh, that's a really, really great. I had a lot of fun and I appreciate that Shannon and Heidi could, uh, could come on the show. I am also talking with another female filmmaker and that's Nadine Lesperance. Uh, she's made a couple shorts, is a super interesting person. I've been talking with her on Twitter and other people have been talking about her. And uh, so we get to talk about her filmmaking and, and her experiences in the horror genre. And, uh, of course, we review a film. Um, last but certainly not least, and this is in no particular order because right now I don't know what order I'm going to play them in on the show. But uh, filmmaker Tony Wash, Scotchworthy Productions. He is, uh, man, a busy guy, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff and and uh, making a lot of films. He's he's uh, starting a lot of films, pitching them, trying to get the funding. And I bring him on because he has a, a really exciting film in the works right now called The Storm, which is like roller derby girls um, and, and horror and, and just <laughs> super cool. But um, uh, yeah, I get to talk to Tony about filmmaking, about the kind of the state of the industry right now for the indie filmmaker and uh, of course we get into a lot of interesting things there as well so and um thank you uh, of course to uh, to brian uh wolford uh, who kind of hooked me up with tony i'm so gl glad that uh, we did get to talk and i'm grateful to brian for um introducing us so awesome well that's what i got for you this week that and a whole bunch more so sit back and relax because here we go with the electric chair. I understand that you have some radical ideas about the reanimation of dead tissue. Well, I love talking to women who are in the horror industry. I mean, their, their perspective in the genre is really fascinating to me. And I'm really excited to have with me right now two powerhouses in the horror genre. And I mean, this is, this is going to be great. I'm talking with Shannon Lark and Heidi Honeycutt from Viscera. Uh, women, uh, women, did I just call you women? Ladies. <laughs> oh my God, let me start. I don't know that. about that, but we're definitely women. There's women, some, welcome to the show. Women. Walking, gaping vaginas. And, yeah, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's actually too good to cut. We're not going to start that over again. That's that. That's that. Women, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank <laughs> oh you. my gosh. <laughs> Ladies, which is a far more respectful way to uh, to speak with you. I really appreciate that you're on the show. And um, man, you know, Shannon, first of all, um, I, I just heard you on the Slasher cast here a couple weeks ago and uh, truly amazing uh, interview. And uh, so thanks for coming on tonight. It's, it's great to meet you and talk with you. 
Well, thank you. I, I really enjoy making men nervous. So thank you so much for having me on. Because you're a man. What you've done. Heidi's not a man. I checked. So. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Not not in terms of my genitals, but you know. <laughs> uh. Right, right. So we get along that way, you know, <laughs> mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. Well, thank you. And Heidi, it's great to meet you and talk with you as well. Um, thanks I, again. This is a Friday night, and I'm like I said, I'm I'm sure you have far better things to do to be enjoying your life than uh, you know sitting here on a podcast with with old Corey. So <laughs> thank you. No, I mean people who generally like horror movies are kind of you know we're geeky and we kind of enjoy doing this. Hopefully, you know that's what one would hope that you would only do things that you enjoy. Right. Most of the time. So, um, yeah, uh, I would still be in my pajamas if I could. Me too. I, I went outside today. So. I didn't. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I kind of did. But no, but uh, yeah, no, I, I wear pajama jeans, actually. I don't know if you if Corey, if you're aware of what this is, but this is a, a phenomenon where they're now making jeans out of pajama material. <laughs> and just disguising the disguising the outside of the pants, so the pants look like jeans, but they're not. They're pajamas, and on the inside, they're velvety soft. And I, that's all I wear is pajama jeans. <laughs> and, and yeah, you can wear them to sleep. You can you can just get up and be wearing them. You can wear them outside, and and it's your own little secret that you're wearing pajamas. <laughs> so that's what I wear if whenever I can. It sounds comfy. It's extremely, I'm not even kidding. It's amazing. It's wow. like wearing pajamas. Wow. Well, this is, this is the point in, in the show when I have to admit that I am totally in love with my Snuggie. And oh, like, I love Snuggies. Not this time of year because it's, it's really warm right now. But in the winter, I'm living in my Snuggie. And I work oh, yeah. at home. So it's like you're oh, not going to find me out of that thing. I have a oh, yeah. too. Uh, mm. Yeah, I don't real. I can't really wear like pajama pants. Like I wear yoga pants, but pajama pants they like. I don't know. It's like they get too. It's like too much. But like the snuggie, I have one with skulls on it, and like yes. you can just wear. You can wear it on the front. You can wear it around the back like a robe. You can do so much. <laughs> I got the skull snuggie, man. I just got the lame blue one. It's like where where do you find the skull one? That would have been awesome. Google yeah. it. Google oh. it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, so, th this is great. I mean, you guys, you're really busy right now. Um, you know, and I, again, it just means so much more that, that uh, you're talking with me right now, because here within a matter of weeks, you got the Viscera Film Festival going on. And I've only, you know, in the past couple months, just started learning about Viscera, you know, especially through Jamie, who's a good friend of mine now. And, um, you know, she's been on the show several times. Um, and I'm fascinated with with viscera and what you're doing especially the film festival which is really really exciting so shannon can you just tell tell the listeners right now just about the organization viscera and kind of your philosophy and, and the things you do and then uh, after that we'll start talking about the big festival sure um the viscera organization we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization we're like totally legit like tax papers signed and stamped and you know, gone through the bureaucratic mess. So uh, that's pretty awesome. And we have a staff of now over 20. Um, 
and wow. uh, I found it in 2007. And uh, what we do is we assist female genre filmmakers. And we've actually started to assist artists as well because one of our services now is Women in Horror Month. Mm -hmm. So we have film festivals. We have several services. We have film festivals. We have the Viscera Film Festival, and that is all horror movies by women. We have, and this, um, Heidi created this festival, and it's awesome. It's called Etheria Film Festival, and that's premiering in Boston in September. And that is fantasy and science fiction films by women. And we are actually opening up a new film festival after that called Full Throttle. Uh, wow. And it's not yeah. it's a sex festival. It is an action <laughs> festival. Yeah, it's not sex or cars. Sometimes there are sex and cars in the movie, but it's not the main themes. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. And those films are by women as well. So you can see the theme. There's a bunch of chicks basically being involved. And then we also have Women in Horror Month, um, and that was founded by um, Hannah Foreman. And we also, um, what else are we doing? Oh. Oh, Mo. Yeah. Oh, no, we're yeah. not talking about that yet? And we can talk about it now. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, you go ahead. You can go ahead. Okay. It's the Mistresses of Horror Alliance. And so what we're going to be doing is uh, providing um, mentoring, networking, um, workshops, education, um, and a grant for, a, uh, for one film each year. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that's how it's all, I mean, it's all culminating and, and uh, into an explosive frenzy, especially right now because we're about to do our big carpet ceremony for the year. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. You just blew me away with all of this because I had no idea. I mean, I knew you did the festival and you did a lot of, you know, other things. But uh, this is even grander, you know. The cool and, thing uh, with the festivals, too, is that... Um, when I started it, like I was really broke and I had been doing, I had been directing film festivals for a few years. This is up in San Francisco. And I was like, I, I contacted Heidi and I'm like, you know, I'm doing this, but you know, I decided that I'm not going to rent out a theater and, you know, go through that. And so what we did, we did it kind of like, it was like in a grassroots sort of way where yes. we contacted like, uh, other film festivals and events that, you know, like event organizers and said, hey, would you be willing to show some of these Viscera films at your event or at your festival and like basically be a partner? And so these festivals started screening the films and then it immediately got promotion for the filmmakers because then their films are getting screened in South Africa and Australia and all over America. And then in 2010, Heidi and I, and, um, and then Stacy, um, the other board, uh, the other woman who's on the board of directors for the organization, uh, we, uh, threw the first carpet ceremony for Viscera and that's all horror movies by women. We threw that in Los Angeles. So, it's kind of, it's been really awesome, actually, because that's how Viscera started, is by people supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a breath of fresh air to me, um, especially since, you know, I, I've met Jamie and I've met a lot of other people just through doing the podcast. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is is to have the female perspective on the show in horror, because I'm not used to that. 
Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the classic horror films and a lot of the exploitation kind of stuff, you know, going through the 70s and 80s. And, and this has just been a man's game, you know, for so long, as far as I see it. Um, you know, it, it, I, I'm just used to like women just being exploited, you know, cause you see a lot of <laughs> nudity and sex and stuff and, and tied up and the man is the hero, you know, and they go and they rescue the woman and, and, um, you know, it's just, that's kind of what guys want to see. But now there's a whole kind of new wind kind of blowing through the horror genre here. Um, so, um, I mean, Heidi going to you, I mean, how do you see, women historically as part of horror am i am i accurate at all here and i think and... you're uh, totally accurate in in that i mean the reason for it is it's it's kind of just related to women's place in the world in general you know like women didn't used to have things like equal rights or you know had the ability to get jobs in various industries and so for almost all of of recorded human history most of the stuff was made by men and we were in a really unique interesting time right now i mean this is you know the the 20 the latter 20th and and now the 21st century it's it's amazing it's an amazing time to be a woman it's like we have all these rights and privileges and um, all, all these abilities to do things that we never had before. And I think all that is, it's seeping into every area of society. It's seeping into politics and economics and in, into the film industry. And, you know, the horror film industry is just a sub part of the film industry. And you're seeing women come into this. It's like, there's nothing holding us back to do anything we want to do anymore. And so women are like, Hey, you know what I want to do? I want to make a fucking horror movie and I'm going to do it. And there's nobody stopping me. And look, isn't this amazing? And this is, I, I did it. And that's such a, an awesome thing to watch uh, happening. And it's such an awesome thing to be a part of that, you know, really our festival is about showcasing what is happening right now so that people can witness the equality and the innovation and the new ideas happening. We don't want anybody to miss it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I love to hear that it's been growing and having a lot of success and, and people are really picking up on it because I think we need this as, as a, a horror genre that like tends to get really stale, you know, and to churn out a lot of the same things over and over again. Yeah, that's true. I think you, horror has, I think always, even in like, you know, the silent days, there are probably a lot of really horrible silent horror films that we just, we don't see getting replayed, <laughs> you know, on, on AMC or anything. Cause they, everybody forgot about them cause they suck. I mean, I think there's just, there's always going to be really bad films and you're always, you're always going to have films rehashing the same old ideas. And part of what makes movies good is is having those innovative new ideas thrown mm -hmm. in and the only way you get that is by having new people with new ideas making the films you know whether they're women or from a different country or a, a different generation you mm. know you're going to get those new ideas only from new people and new things right Right. And, and something that I really dig now, you know, pe some people could look at Viscera and look at what you're doing and say, oh, there's a bunch of bunch of man haters over there. And they, <laughs> oh, they, yeah. they, just, they think women are so much better. But Shannon, you know, when I heard you on the Slasher cast, like I said, um, one of the things that you stressed on there is you said that we're not against men by any means. It's like we just want to bring 
a female perspective into the mix here. And it's, it holds the same amount of validity as a man's perspective, but we just want to bring it in and make it just, you know, bring it on the same scale here and bring things out. It's not like women against men things here. And, you know, so I really, really respect that. Absolutely. And we definitely try and we love men. So we, you know, we definitely try to involve men as much as possible in the festival. So if a film is directed by a man, but produced by a woman, we will still consider it. Um, It can still be submitted. Um, You know, we encourage uh, men and women to work together. We encourage women to work together. I mean, it's definitely nothing where, you know, we definitely don't have a perspective where it's like, oh, you know, men should just get out of the industry because they suck <laughs> and they don't make good movies. Because that's not true at all. And Heidi was it, like, Heidi hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's all about creating, you know, new ideas, you know, original stories, more dynamic characters. And if you have like both of those perspectives in there, it's it's really awesome, you know. On, on top of, you know, creating awesome movies, more jobs are made, more opportunities are created, everybody wins. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, lately, one of the things I've been hearing a lot is, why do we need separate fests for men and women? Why can't people just all be judged on the quality of the film and nothing else? And I don't really understand where some of these people are coming from. Like, I don't really get how having a film festival for women filmmakers somehow impedes equality. Like, I can't really wrap my head around that, you know? Like, uh, any more than, like, having an Asian film festival somehow impedes equality or any any other kind of niche festival. Um, to me, it's just all about you're, you're showcasing a specific group of people in one specific film festival. And it's probably most of the time these niche film festivals exist because these are people and films that maybe would have been overlooked in the past. But now that we're in a more enlightened time, they don't have to be overlooked. So, yeah, I I don't really understand the argument that 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 some people have been making. Yeah, I I don't I I don't get it either, because it, it you know, I think some people might think, well, you're discriminating if you take women's films why don't you take my film too i mean what you know what what do you think you're it's better than than what i think and which is completely misled and and uh, you know i i totally agree with you that uh you know these niche festivals you know seg- spotlighting a certain segment of people is completely beneficial it's totally beneficial to the genre as a whole and to filmmaking as a whole and to everything because you're really really bringing to light a, a very important perspective and some great, fantastic artistry that might not have necessarily had the chance to get out there. And well, I applaud I've, you for I've that. Ask the question a lot of, you know, well, you know, is something like this really needed? I mean, is, is your organization really, I mean, is it, do we really need this? I mean, haven't women reached equality yet? And, you know, unfortunately, we haven't, you know, right. especially in various places of the world. But I mean, even in Hollywood itself, I mean, it's like women have a hard time getting jobs. Even A-list actresses have a hard time getting their films funded because studios are like, well, no one's going to watch your movie because it's basically, you know, it's discrimination. They're saying, like, you're not bankable enough because you're a woman. 
So Catherine Bigelow had to make a film about a bunch of dudes blowing up a bunch of other dudes. And, you know, all of these, you know, probably, you know, a homosexual layers. Around <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of ridiculous that people don't really understand. It's like they forgot that, you know, that this is something that women are still dealing with. And, and some women are very oppressed in, yeah. you know, different parts of the world. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. We have we've come a long way um, in the past several decades as far as equality, opportunity. Um, but when it gets down to it, it, it is still very much there as far as the discrimination, like you said. Um, and I think that's something that people need to be aware of. Um, that it, it's it's sort of this uh, this reality that is still out there, although we have seen so many changes. So do you think maybe people have seen so many drastic changes in the way that uh, uh, women are viewed in society and they have uh, much more of a, an equal role now? And they've seen all these huge changes. So now it's uh, it's kind of like, well, we're where we need to be. So why why exploit it further? And, and Shannon, you were kind of talking about that. But, uh, you know, maybe that's, you know, people have a hard time realizing that there's still a long way to go right now. So mm -hmm. that's. Uh... Yeah. And I mean, that's really the whole reason why we exist, because if women didn't need the, you know, that sort of you know, opportunity to get, you know, the quality films showcased and, you know, cause we don't just do the festival in LA, you know, we do it a carpet ceremony in Los Angeles every year, but then we tour for the rest of the year. And just this year, I think we've already done 15 events. And I just got back from Dublin, Ireland yeah. doing, doing an event at a university where like scholars and, you know, students are coming together and talking about this. Um, you know, through an educational discourse and, you know, in relating this, basically relating this all, you know, wrapping it all up in feminism theory um, about this sort of movement. Basically, a woman taking a film, basically, you know, taking a story, writing a story, making a film from her own perspective. And it's very interesting, the sort of things that we've gotten, you know, a lot of the films you know, all right, could have been made by a man, but um, Heidi and I have discussed this a lot, that it's a lot of the films are, you know, that are submitted uh, because they're from a female perspective can go, um, they can be about uh, uh, rape, child loss, um, childbirth, mm -hmm. um, different pressures that, you know, like uh, plastic surgery, um, body issues, basically that men don't necessarily have but since horror is such an extreme mirror women can really explore that and i think that's really fucking cool yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think it challenges what is the definition of horror you know like we have this set idea in our heads we think slasher films vampire blah, blah, but but there are so many other things that can be scary and terrifying mm -hmm. if we just look at the world from different people's perspectives you know like some things are going to speak to women uh and they're going to be terrifying and men might realize hey you know what i never fucking i never thought about you know breast cancer horror because i don't have breasts and why would i ever think of that you know like like there's there's gonna there are things that men are going to see straight men are going to watch and they're going to be scared too and they're going to not know that it, they would have ever been scared by that. I think it brings 
a it's lot like, of really and, refreshing ideas to horror. Yes. Yeah. It's like a different kind of horror, like the kind that makes you like, that can make you like sick to your stomach. You know, as an, as adults, you know, horror, I mean, for most adults, horror doesn't scare them as they did, as it like, as it did whenever you're a kid, mm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, you watch like Freddy Krueger, you know, you watch any sort of Nightmare on Elm Street film whenever you're a child, you're all, oh, you know, I used to have like bad dreams about it. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> but um, I was a bit morbid. But like, as you know, when you grow up, it's like, ah, oh, that's fun. You know, slashing and gashing and whatever. Yeah, like that's fun to get together with your friends and, you know, or significant others and, and like, you know, yell at the TV about how stupid the person is. You know, like, you know, go running up the stairs or whatever. But like, that's not necessarily going to scare us anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's much more internal. It's much more in the mind. And you really got to get in my head and make me feel what you're feeling, you know, on uh, in the movie. And uh, that's really what I appreciate about, uh, again, a woman's perspective on horror, because you're bringing in so many nuances and so many so many things that haven't been explored before in horror and um you're much more i mean to not to sound stereotypical but uh there's much more of like an emotional sort of element to things like you're you're it's far more emotionally involved in the story and that plays i think a bigger role which is huge in horror i mean you got it in order for you to be scared in order for something to really stick with you and to really get into your head and just not leave your head for like weeks and weeks and weeks after you see it you know you have to be emotionally charged you have to be affected that way and i think you know a, a woman's perspective brings that much more to the forefront and works it in so much better um, than a man possibly could. And I'm not saying men can't do it, but I think women uh, are, are especially in tune to that kind of thing. And like, what better for women to like really be like flooding into the horror genre or genre films in general? I think that that's, it's perfect, really. Um, because there's this whole like, yeah, you know, horror films, like a lot of feminists can say, you know, horror, oh, I don't like horror films. Like whenever I started Viscera, I was reaching out to like the feminist websites and it's like, they were like, well, you know, we can let you write an article and, you know, basically protecting your case, but we don't like horror films. We think yeah. they're fine, you know, and I'm like, well, that's great. Wow. And it's, it's really fascinating to see uh, that whenever you know, especially in like the educational discourse, like screening these films and then talking to like feminist professors who do this for a living and they're way smarter than I am, but they totally get it. Cause they're like, wow, like it is important to show those images and explore those concepts on screen. And what better for women to start in horror? Because yes. you want to say horror films are objectifying. What about comedy films? What about mm -hmm. noir films? You know, like I'd rather. Yeah, what about romantic comedies? You know, <laughs> like God, don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Well, I am. I'm. I'm really curious about the two of you into what kind of horror uh, that you really love, and movies that you would you would call your favorites. Being that you are where you are now and you're you're really helping the female perspective grow 
in the horror genre. Where did you come from? Why did you grow to love horror? I mean, uh, Heidi, what what are some of your favorites and and why? You know, I think that the, my love of horror began as a little girl growing up in Los Angeles, and I used to watch Elvira's movie Macabre um, every, I think it was Saturday night, whenever, I think it was, it was on once a week, I believe it was Saturday nights at like six o'clock, and it was my favorite show, and Cassandra Peterson is just a genius comedian, and I love the character of Elvira, I think she's just hilarious and funny and she would show all these horrible movies i mean really bad stuff like but i didn't know it was bad because you know i was seven or six whatever i was <laughs> i thought these were this is what a horror movie is you know it's this horrible thing that, that that's badly shot and but so i watched these films so intently and and really tried to appreciate them in my my own you know childlike way and got very used to them and got, you know, so to the point where I could watch something like The Shining or Halloween. And yeah, it would creep me out, but I, I really could, I could appreciate it on a level that I'm kind of looking back on it. I'm surprised because I was like six, you know, mm -hmm. and the Elvira herself, that character is, I, I'd never seen anyone like her. Um, she was attractive and funny at the same time. And I think I've never seen another woman in the world, not in real life, not on TV, nowhere, who could be really hot and sexy, but also be the funny one. Yes. And I think it fascinated me. And I was like, this is, this is so cool that, that you could be both at the same time. Like, it seems like such a, you know, you have to be either one or the, even, even today, it's like, there's this very, it's different a little bit. Like there are some women who've been able to break through that boundary, but Definitely back in like the 80s, it was like you if you're attractive and you're funny, then you're not attractive, even though you're attractive. Like it's just kind of a weird, I don't know, it was very weird. So I was fascinated with her and I started watching all these other movies and I had an older sister and that helped because she would like, and back in the 80s, like you could go to a horror film when you were six and it could be rated R. Nobody cared. Nobody was going to not let you in the theater. No, the, nobody gave a shit. Like, honestly, like I got, I went, I saw like Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, I think was the first horror film I saw in a theater and it terrified me, but I loved it. And so I just, anytime I could go into a theater and see a movie, I would go, I would go do it. And all, it just, I just, it just grew and grew and grew. I mean, when I was, I never stopped watching them. Once I could get in or rent them, once they started, once you could get movies on DVD and, and stuff like that. And it was, I could suddenly start watching things that were 20 years old or stuff. Cause they didn't put stuff that was 20 years old on, on VHS. And yeah. I mean, like, so like, you know, the late nineties, it was like, Oh my God, my life exploded. And I just, ever since then, <laughs> it's like, I, you know, seriously. Right. Like, how, you know, it's, if it's 1986, it's like, you're not going to see something that came out in theaters in 1967. Like it's just, you're never going to see it. And all of a sudden in the late nineties, there was this boom. And it was like, all I can't, I didn't, all these movies that I never even knew existed. And all of a sudden you have like IMDB, like we don't really, the people who are, who are like 10, 15 years younger than me, like they don't realize how good they have it. Like before IMDB and before DVDs and Netflix and stuff, like how do you even, you couldn't find out about anything. It was just, you were just lucky if you came across it or met somebody who happened to mention it to you, you know? 
Right. Do you miss like the old VHS rental stores, like being able to go and just browse around and look at all the covers and just pick movies that way? I miss being able to buy them that mm. way um, because there are still so many movies that are not on DVD and that are not digitized that, you know, like I said, they came out in 1987 and that's it. So if you don't, if you can't find that VHS copy from 1987, you might never see that film again um, yeah. because if it's low budget or if it's not that good, no one's going to put it on Netflix. No one's going to buy it. Nobody's going to package it and market it again. Yeah. So I, I, I miss that. I, um, but, yeah, um, I, I know what you mean. And it brings up, I'm, I'm kind of going to go off on a tangent here a little bit, but I'll bring it back around. So don't worry. But, uh, you know, I see a lot of people, especially at conventions. I go to a lot of conventions and people who are offering uh, DVD transfers of like movies that you can't find anymore, anywhere, unless you, you know, spend a lot for them on VHS, you know, on eBay or maybe Amazon has them for like a ridiculous amount of money. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are basically bootlegging a lot of these unfindable movies um, on on DVD. And on one regard, it kind of bothers me. I'm like, well, that's kind of not legal. You know, it's kind of, you know, you're just kind of transferring it and selling it and, and whatever. But on the other hand, you know, I'm finding something that I can't find anywhere else. And I wouldn't have the opportunity. I'm completely willing to pay for it, but it's just not available in the, available in the I guess the medium or any kind of way that uh, I can do it so I'm gonna I guess go the bootlegger route um, what do you think I mean I know you know <laughs> um, been to conventions and stuff and and see see people doing this does that bother you or, or kind of where are you and that kind of thing I mean um, Shannon do you want to go first <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Um, it depends. I think, um, like if it's for rare out of print, you know, you can't really find it. Then I don't know. A part of my brain is like, okay, I can totally understand. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's just, it sucks. I mean, that's kind of like where the film and music industry yeah. is, is, you know, like, because if you aren't buying it at the convention, you're probably getting a free download, you know, online. That's true. Yeah. So uh, there are, yeah, it's, it's, but the thing is, is like, because the film industry, yeah, it's an industry, but also making films is art, hopefully. Mm. <laughs> hopefully it's considered like that um, yeah. by the filmmaker. So, and so I don't know, like, there's parts of me that are okay with it and some parts of me where I'm like, oh, because I wouldn't want my film bootlegged. But like, that's kind of like where the film industry is like coming to right at this point because yeah. distribution companies and everything, they aren't making as much money as they used to because the advent of, yeah, the internet and then um, the, uh, and then digital technology, like filmmakers are able to go and shoot a feature for, ten thousand dollars as opposed to begging them to make a movie for a couple million and then you know them having like complete domination over the over the film industry mm. so like there are parts of it that like bother me about it but at the same time i see that that's just the natural way that things are going and i don't know it's going to basically change a lot of a lot of things 
You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Heidi, what do you think? Well, my views on this, I guess maybe might upset a little some people. Um, <laughs> I, I think, let me preface this by saying that I think it's, it would be great if we lived in a world in which artists could be completely compensated for their energy and time at making art. But we don't. We live in a capitalist society that's all about making money. And uh, part of capitalism is that when the market changes, when technology changes, the way that you market your product and sell your product has to change with it. Like, for instance, when somebody invented the light bulb, suddenly all of the companies that sold natural gas and supplied natural gas to people's homes were put out of business because somebody invented the light bulb and people wanted that more. Or when somebody invented the camera and you could suddenly take a picture, all the artists and the painter, portrait painters in the world suddenly started freaking out and, and you know, they, were, they wanted it to be illegal probably, I'm just imagining, <laughs> because they were going to put all portrait artists out of business and, oh, my God, what a horrible thing. And you know what? It's like if you want to live in a capitalist society, if you want to live in a society and an economy where you have the potential to make vast amounts of wealth by exploiting the labor of other people like just because you know you thought of you thought of the idea for the film so if it sells you become a millionaire if you want to live in that world then you have to also accept that it's a free enterprise economy and technology changes and you have to do your due diligence and keep up with it so i think if companies want their digital films to not be illegally downloaded then they need to spend some money and time and energy researching ways to technologically prevent that so maybe they need to create a new type of file or a, a new way of encoding the software under the disk but it's not the responsibility of the u.s government and like local police to like yes, to secure you. secure their economic interests i mean like if, if that's what the if the police is for securing a large major corporations and, and let me make it clear that i do not i do not believe i'm see i'm gonna get on a rant that's why i wanted shannon to go i first. love it i love it i do not believe that the people that are getting ripped off here are like small time artists. Like for some reason, like really low budget filmmakers have convinced themselves that the only reason they're not millionaires like Quentin Tarantino is because people are illegally downloading their films. I would be shocked if anyone <laughs> that I've ever met has actually had their film illegally downloaded. I think they, they believe that they have and they'll yeah. do stuff. They'll, they'll like Google their own film and they'll come up with all these links that like show that like it's a bit torrent, but they don't really understand the internet and they don't understand websites and web pages and what they're actually finding is like, if you Google something and try to download it, these websites will automatically dynamically generate a page that shows you that name yes. with a link. It doesn't mean it's really there. It just means they're trying to get you to click on their link. And so they, they Google their, their own, they're like, I Googled my film. And they'll find all these, it's not real. Your movie is not being downloaded. What's being downloaded are really big, multi-million dollar theatrical mm -hmm. films. Um, that's what people want to see. So that's what they're downloading. Right. And, uh, you know, the producers of those films are making 20, 25, 30, 35 or more million dollars per film. I don't feel bad for them if they lose $5 million that year. And I don't even think they're losing that much. I think they're losing 
hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's their own fault. They need to fix their technology. That's all I have to say. I'm done. Yeah. That was a beautiful <laughs> thing. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. You're that welcome. was uh, that was a, a thing of beauty. Now, let me respond because there, there are a couple things actually that I, I have to say kind of in response to that. First of all, I love what you said about the government having no place in this whatsoever. I mean, they cannot legislate this kind of thing. You know, I mean, I mean, back when you're talking about, you know, they, they invented the light bulb and then, you know, all these natural gas people, all the, the, these uh, people who are basically kind of shut out of this this industry because of this new development in technology, they had to figure out something else to do. Um, and, uh, there was no, you know, government stepping in and saying, well, you know, man, we have to protect these people that were shut out because of this light bulb. So we better yeah. make some laws to, uh, you know, just restrict how many light bulbs are made. And, uh, you know, exactly. it, there was, there was nothing like that. And, but that is, pretty much a parallel as to what we're seeing today. You know, I, I, I feel like we're seeing the government, we're seeing lawmakers just uh, being swayed, of course, by the lobbying of, of big industry, by, you know, big music, big Hollywood and everything. And uh, they are swayed to protect those interests mm -hmm. of the billions and billions of dollars that have come in and are still coming into these industries, even though they are thriving on a dying paradigm. Um, I, the formula that has worked up until, you know, what, like 10, 15 years ago is fizzling out. And, and there are new things in, in developing that uh, are really making the old way, you know, the physical CDs and uh, your, your traditional way of distributing content and entertainment. It, it's rendering all of these things obsolete. Um, so I think, you know... It's interesting. I, I'm not sure that I agree with you, though, as as far as like finding new file formats and finding ways to prevent people from doing this, because I think it's inevitable because literally every way that you come up with to uh, block every you know different way of copy protection or encrypting or a new format is somebody is going to go out there and they're going to break that. They're going to crack it and then make it available to everybody anyhow. So it's almost I like mean, a cat and mouse kind of thing. You know, it's just kind of a, a back and forth. I don't think there's an end to that. And I, I, don't I don't think, think that's you're right. Yeah. I don't think they'll ever find a foolproof way because technology is always changing. Their technology is changing, and the people who are illegally downloading are changing their technology as well. And that's the nature of capitalism. Sometimes it yeah. sucks for the people at the top, which right. they forget. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. like, well, it's supposed to be all about making them. Well, sometimes you lose money. That's yeah. capitalism. Yeah. I mean, I. I and, the, if you want to get even more philosophical, the thing about illegally downloading that bothers me the most about about this outcry is that you're not actually stealing something. You're making a copy of something. The original thing is still there. It is just copied. It's almost like I bought if I buy the new Stephen King book and then I loan it to Shannon. Should that be illegal? Because that means Shannon isn't going to go out and buy a book, and that's going to be lost book sales for Stephen King. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think it's, 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 it's the equivalent of loaning your friend a book. Um, it's just when you have 100 friends and you loan it to all 100 of them, you know, it, sure, the industry might start to feel it. But um, I, I almost feel like people, it, it's so tied up in needing and wanting to make a profit that all the logistics and moral and ethical 
um, arguments are totally moot because it has nothing to do with ethics or morals or values. It has to do with someone wants to get more money. Yes. And that's all it really comes down to. Right. I mean, and that's like apparent in the state of Hollywood now. I mean, like the remakes and, you know, in regardless of if any of them are good or not, they, you know, some of them, some of them are very good because they were already good stories. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like let the right one in, come on, remade it within like a year. It like practically shot by shot, exact sort of framing, um, you know, and then releasing it in Hollywood. So, I mean, it's really just a money machine. Um, unfortunately. And that's, so I do agree with Heidi that most of the illegal downloads are happening with these large companies. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out what to do about it because they don't, they don't, they're not really, I, I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure that they're probably working on it. They got like huge teams that are making a lot of money. I'm sure. Work on it. But I mean, at the same time, it's like it is art and it's knowledge. So a a book or a movie or whatever, I mean, that also it's that brings up that whole question of should that cost something? Right. Right. And it's it's so hard. I don't think there's an easy answer here because we're seeing we're in such a stage of flux right now and and transition uh, from the old way of doing things into this whole digital thing that has just changed the game completely. And uh, I, I think it, it's just going to take some radical changes in the mindset of everybody involved. You know, the the providers, you know, the, the people, the artists, the ground level artists who are actually coming up with the ideas and, and making them happen, clear up to the to the big wigs that are financing things. And, um, you know, I think everybody just has a has to have a complete reset in in thought and how things are done um, because it's it's just been so blown out of whack with what we've seen with uh, digital things and the internet and, and everything like we've said so yeah, the industry it's rough so you really can't rely on it at all like so whenever filmmakers come to me and they say how do I get money for my movie I get this question a lot can you help me get money <laughs> can you help me get money um, but, <laughs> That's besides the point. It's like, well, you know, they come to me and they say, okay, well, you know, I really need to make this movie, blah, blah, blah. I understand how you need to make a movie. And, uh, you know, and I, and, and, and I need to get the money, blah, blah, blah. What would, you, what would you suggest? And I always suggest to them, make it on practically nothing because it's not the same anymore. Your, your film could sell out at Sundance, at Cannes. And it, you'll still get a crappy distribution deal if that. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's like you're not even, as the filmmaker, the filmmaker gets completely screwed. And you're not even going to make, you're probably not going to make your money back. Like 99.9%, <laughs> like there's a 99.9% chance that you will never see that money again. So you might as well spend as little as possible and not uh, take a second mortgage out on your house or be in trouble with the mob or have, you know, have your parents hate you or whatever. Like, (laughs) you know, like if you're going to, if you want to make films, it's because you want to make films. It's not because you want to make a profit, especially in this day and age. Yeah. I mean, doing this show that has opened my eyes up to that reality so much more because 
I talk, you know, now I've been talking with a lot of uh, people who are involved in films who who, who make films that, uh, you know, I, I've seen on Netflix, I've seen on DVD, and this is like a big deal to me. I'm like, wow, these are, man, these people are really up there. I mean, they've, they've made it, man. They made a movie, it's on Netflix, or it's something, it was a great movie. So, man, I can't believe they're talking to, to little old Corey here, you know, on, on this little podcast. And so I talk with them. And they're just like, man, you know, we're, we're still trying to make ends meet. You know, I'm really lucky to have gotten this break and and this and that. So it's not all that it's cracked up to be or or as I guess as as people envision, you know, the uh, the success, uh, I guess, distribution wise of a movie to uh, to kind of yield to the filmmaker, you know, you know, even though you're up on Netflix, even though your DVD is on Amazon and has some decent distribution and a lot of people have seen it. That doesn't mean that the director or the writer, you know, any anybody really involved in it is really necessarily well off at this point or even still able to pay the rent. Um, yeah, it's, because, a, it's a perception, I think, that yeah. a lot of people who are not involved in the film industry or, you know, know a lot about it, they have this perception of like, oh, you're in a movie, so you're rich, or you're famous, or even people who are, like, semi-famous. And it's like, well, yeah, they're, like, living, like, in the ghetto, like, on welfare, like, trying to get their next acting gig. Um, <laughs> no. Seriously. No, I, I totally believe it. And I know I've, I've talked with other people about... Um, now, uh, something exciting at uh, the Viscera Film Festival this year is, is the screening of Danielle Harris's uh, newest effort, which is uh, really exciting. Um, but even she has had her challenges in even getting things funded and getting uh, yes. the movie even made. I mean, it's uh, Danielle Harris to me is like the movie goddess, you know, somebody <laughs> who, you know, if anybody out there should be able to basically do anything that they want in, in the movie industry, it should be her. I mean, oh, my God. But she's had a lot of challenges, a lot of trouble getting this made and getting this out there. And first of all, thank you for, for having this at the festival and, and getting it out there for people to, to watch. But oh, um, yeah. of yeah. course, you know, this is, I think it, it's, again, it's saying something to how tough it is right now and exactly what we're talking about. Well, and you know, it's like, especially going, like going back to Hollywood. I mean, it's almost impossible for a woman to find funding for her film um, you know, let alone an independent filmmaker, but, you know, especially for a female. And then, you know, you go to like, you know, studios and they steal your ideas and things like that. So it's like, mm. it's, it's, you know, the crowdfunding has definitely helped because that's how Danielle made her film yeah. uh, is with Indiegogo. And so, you know, getting the support of the public. And I think that that's a great, I mean, even though like Indiegogo can drive some people crazy and there's a lot of really crappy projects out there getting funded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, yeah. There that's... are some really incredible films, and the idea of the fact that like the public can help make this happen by just everybody donating just a small amount is pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually I love Indiegogo, like Kickstarter, things like that, um, that are enabling people to get their their projects funded. Um, you know, and even though, like you said, there, it's going to open the doors to a lot of crap and a lot of people that have no business making a movie, trying to go out there and make a movie. And it, it's just going to be terrible. <laughs> but again, I mean, that's, that's what we see when we kind of open the floodgates 
and make things more accessible. Like we said, you know, the advent of digital video and, and basically anybody can go out there and shoot something digitally very cheaply and make a movie. You buy a computer or a laptop for cheap and you can edit on that computer um, and and put something out there. And so literally anybody can do this now. And so just I think due to the nature of that, uh, yeah, you're going to have a flooding of shit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you have to wade <laughs> through it. I mean, that's just the reality. you got to wade through it. But I think, and what I found so great about that is when you find that gem that is buried in that pile of shit, it makes digging through that pile of shit all worth it. Um, because there are some great things out there that I don't think we would have seen otherwise. Yeah, and, and uh, Heidi is really good at digging through shit. <laughs> She's a fucking pro. I love it. I love digging through the shit. I really do. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, uh, just, uh, you know, ones that come to mind are like Colin. I don't know if you guys have seen Colin. Oh, yeah, the zombie movie, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, I think just an amazing film, and I think a great example of something, you know, we were talking about, you know, don't spend a ton of money on your films. Just go and make something and you never know because things could just get recognized at things like Cannes and, and you know, these crazy festivals. Well, Colin was one that he made for literally nothing, that he just called in a lot of, of, uh, uh, of favors from friends that he just happened to have in the industry. And uh, he made a zombie film that just happened to kick ass, arguably, in, in some people's eyes, mine, to you know, to be specific. Um <laughs> And um, it made big waves at Cannes. I mean, you know, people loved it at Cannes for the most part. And then it screened a bunch of places. And so I think that that's just a great example of something, you know, somebody just shot on a regular consumer camera, had a great vision, had a great love for what he was doing and uh, made it work. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, again, it, it just goes back. And I, I just keep saying that the, the paradigm has changed. And, uh, Absolutely. you know, it, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to see because uh, when I started this in 2007, uh, we got like 15 movies. Yeah. Submitted. <laughs> and this past year, we had 180 submissions. Oh my God. And last yeah. Year had 80. So it shot up by like 100. Oh. Um, or so, um, it's, it's incredible. And we're like, okay, like, is it because more women are making horror movies? Is it, and they're like international. I mean, I mean, from all over the world, it's, it's mm. pretty awesome. This year we have a film from Israel, Israel. Nice. Super excited. Mm. France. Oh. Fuck. The UK, UK puts out some incredible films. I'll UK, tell you Australia, Canada. I mean, we had we had uh, some submissions, more than one, for Viscera and Etheria from Italy, um, nice. Scandinavia, mm -hmm. so Russia. We had one. Um, yeah, there's there's yeah. all kinds. Amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm I, virtually every area that you guys just named. Um, I have been loving horror from those areas, especially the UK, France, Australia, Italy, Scandinavia. I mean, so many great horror films that we're seeing coming out um, and not necessarily accessible to the American audience. I mean, you really have to dig for these films and, and really seek them out and find them. But, um, you know, so, some great things coming out. And then it, it seems like Hollywood sees you know a few of them here and there and they're like oh well we really liked wreck 
So pluck, we're going to take that from Spain and remake it. Call it quarantine. <laughs> and ooh, let the right one in. That was really good. Let's reshoot yeah. that scene for scene and, and call it let me in. Pluck, and they take it, and it's a U.S. thing. And they're doing it now with, uh, shit, I just reviewed a movie. Um, oh, there's another one that is in the making right now, and I can't believe that uh, I'm drawing a blank. But I just... Uh, Actually, with a female uh, filmmaker, uh, Nadine uh, Lesperance. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, we just reviewed a movie. And it's like two days ago, and I can't remember it now. But it's literally, it's a foreign film, but uh, it's being remade yet again um, mm-hmm. by Hollywood under a, you know, a totally different. And it just came out. It just came out. It was French. And I can't, I'm going to kick myself when I oh, listen back to this what and think it? of this. Um, uh, Martyrs. Oh, yeah. Have you seen are we Martyrs? making Martyrs? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Oh, my God. The same people, get this, the same producers who uh, did Twilight. Oh, jeez. Okay. Are going to totally yeah. screw up Martyrs. Yeah. Well, it, 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 uh, I actually used to work at a video store. I worked there for five years and, and got a lot of my horror education <laughs> there. <laughs> a lot of different kinds of education there. And... Uh, uh, it was interesting because that's whenever like the DVD boom happened and like the, we it was like one of the largest video stores in the nation. It closed down, but it had over 100,000 movies and like like hundreds of genres and subgenres. So um, when the DVD boom happened, like the DVDs like flooded in and then we started like seeing the remakes. And it was really fascinating because with the remakes, like the company would either get the license from the original filmmaker or distribution company, however they'd work it. So basically they'd own the film or they already own the film. So we have like, what? Uh, uh, trying to think of a remake in my mind's drawing a blank. Um, <laughs> oh boy. Like, uh, what is it? Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead. The, co- the company, the distribution company already owns the rights to the film, to the original film. So they're like, okay, well, we're going to remake this. So what they do is they remake it. And then all the people who are like, no, I like the original Dawn of the Dead. I don't like the new Dawn of the Dead. That sucks. What they do is they repackage the old Dawn of the Dead movie, put it out on DVD, have special features. And then all of these people go running to the video store to rent it or to buy it because they're like, oh, these extra special features. And we get this, you know, all of this like behind the scenes footage, you know, basically geeking out. And then all the new people, all the younger people go and watch the new Dawn of the Dead. So they're, they're doubling or tripling their profit. It's really smart. You just blew my mind, Shannon, <laughs> because I am one of these people. Literally, I think, again, I, I actually enjoyed the Dawn of the Dead remake. And it's funny you bring that one up because the original 78 version is my favorite movie of all time, bar none. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the remake, it's it's not the original, but I thought it was a fun movie. But I think right around that time is when the ultimate edition of Dawn of the Dead came out, the original Dawn of the Dead, like the big four disc set, you know, with the, the all three cuts of the movie, plus a ton of, uh, you know, extras that you hadn't seen before. And kind of in the wake of the remake, they kind of let out all this stuff with the original. So not only did I go out and buy, the, the, you know, the remake, but I kind of, yeah. you know, felt this renewed pride in the original and went out and bought that for like the sixth time or something, you know, however, I own 
fucking Dawn of the Dead like so many <laughs> times over now. It's obscene. But, uh, you know, that's wow. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't thought of things that way, but that's uh, that's a, a great insight on how that works. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, you know, un unfortunately, it is like just for profit because in the, mm. you know, if the filmmaker still owns, you know, part of the film or, or a percentage of the film or whatever, then they just become like, you know, then they get rich again <laughs> if they yeah. aren't so rich, you know, and it just benefits them and it just promotes their movie and, pr you know, and promotes their career. So, of course, they're going to be wanting to do it, um, you know, and it, I typically like I prefer like more of the independent market you know that's yeah. why it's because like those these films are being made on because you know because filmmakers are passionate about it as opposed to being like oh well we're making a shitload of money <laughs> yeah and they need your money so much more than you know the the big budget Hollywood films do because when you literally go out and you buy one of these independent films you go out and, and support them on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or something like that, it is so much more appreciated and I think used uh, in a wise fashion than if you go out and you buy a DVD at Walmart or something of, you know, friggin', you know, some big blockbuster something. Um, but your dollars have so much more power when it comes to indie horror and, you know, especially things like going to, going to the Viscera Film Festival. You know, and, and just going to see those films, supporting those films, um, just getting the word out there about them is, is so important. Um, yeah, yeah. And film festivals really need people. Yes. They really need people because, I mean, just because it like since everything is available now, you know, digitized on the Internet and everything like that. Not everything, but most things that will like distract people. It's very important for people to come out to these to these events because most of them have to take place in like historical uh, you know, cinema houses that are being paid for with grants because nobody's going out to the movies anymore unless it's like to these big blockbuster 3D movies. And that's, yeah, so like we need to, you know, come out to our festival. <laughs> yes. yes, I think Yes, so. come to the Viscera Festival. And you, have a hey, great, you have a great venue. I mean, Jamie know, was telling me about what you guys are doing this year and I'm like, man, I feel like yeah. I, 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 if I came to this and I wish I could, but you're kind of like several thousand miles away from me and it's kind of hard, but I feel like I should be showing up in a tux, you know, <laughs> and then driving up in a limo and get, you know, that kind of thing. But man, you guys are really, really going, going upscale on all of this. Thank you, Corey. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. We're really looking forward to it, but, um, I have to go. Because I have to feed my dog and my husband, and my dog is looking at me very upset. So <laughs> I understand. Well, Heidi, it has been absolutely fantastic uh, meeting you and talking with you. And I was gonna, I was gonna even mention uh, Retarded, uh, the movie that oh, you had a part in, no. because that's one of my favorites, and I, I no, love. But you, you saw that well. <laughs> I love it. Rick Popko and Dan West are two of like my favorite guys. I've I've been really them on the show. Wow. They're awesome. Heidi Heidi and I were actually both in it. Oh, That's you were right. in it too. Because you lived in San Francisco at the time. Yeah, it was before we met, and we were both yeah. in this movie called Retard. Perhaps again, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to to meet up again and, and talk, and uh, we'll talk about Retarded and, and uh, a lot of <laughs> other things, because there were so many other things I was going to bring up tonight that uh, 
really we didn't, but uh, I, I certainly appreciate this. I had a great time, Heidi. Oh, and uh, great time too. Thank you for having me. I would come on anytime. Like I said, I love talking, and I love talking about myself. So. Oh, absolutely. Don't we all? Don't we all? That's the reason I'm doing this at all. So. Yes. Well, thank you again. And Shannon, it's been a pleasure talking with you again tonight. I mean, uh, this has been just unreal. I went off on a tangent and I was going to bring it around to you. And we just got off on, a, you know, this whole oh, great about discussion it. about uh, where filmmaking and artistry is right now in the industry and Hollywood and indie and stuff. And it's been great, and that's what I love about bringing people on the show and just kind of letting things go where they may because uh, this is what happens, and it ends up being something beautiful and hopefully something that we will continue in the future here. But uh, in awesome. the meantime, I'm wishing all the best toward uh, the Viscera Film Festival, and uh, if anybody wants to find out more about that, and I think you should, you should go to visceralfilmfestival.com and uh, find out more. Um, but are, is there any other place that I should uh, direct people to where they can find out more? Or is that uh, the We're on biggest? Facebook. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Facebook as well. We're and on I, the, the Facebook, whatever the kids call it, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where they're all hanging out nowadays. <laughs> you know, their, their cell phones and their, their iPads and everything. And, yep. and uh, yeah, yeah. So all these links, of course, will be up in the show notes uh, on my website uh, where they can find out more. But uh, ladies, women, <laughs> <laughs> like I slipped up, but I, I became more comfortable talking with you here as the show went on. And I hope that's uh, well, thank you. but, uh, I really, really enjoyed talking with you tonight and, uh, thank you again. And, uh, let's do this again soon. Yes. Let's thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Right. Corey. Right. Good night. Good night. Attention all shoppers. If you have a sweet tooth, we have a special treat for you. If your purchases in the next half hour amount to $5 or more, we'll give you a bag of hard candies free to take home to the kitties or enjoy yourself. So hurry and do your shopping. Right now, I'm speaking with a DIY, low-budget, well, actually no-budget filmmaker, Nadine L'Esperance. Nadine, thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, great. Great to be here, Corey. <laughs> oh, well, I've, I've been just really interested in uh, speaking with you because, like I said, I, there, was, there was a little buzz going on about you here around the, the whole Twitter world and some Facebook stuff, other podcasters talking about you. Um, yeah. But uh, just to give our listeners some background about who you are and what you do, um, mm -hmm. you are a filmmaker. Now, you've made a couple shorts. Um, yeah. and, uh, under blue girl films. So tell yeah. me uh, a little bit about blue girl films and kind of how you got into making films. Well, I've always wanted to make films, but, um, I never really went to film school or did anything like that. And living in Vancouver, they have a big, uh, film industry here. So I used to do a lot of extra work and after I stopped doing that, I was like, Hmm, I took up photography and then I was just like, wanted to start shooting, shoot, shooting some film. Uh, I did a um, stage show for uh, Miss Gory Ray that was at the local theater. So I started filming her shows and then we just, I just kind of got into it. And at that local theater, they had a, a contest called Dead on Film where people go out and make a five minute zombie short. So I said, hey, why not? Here's my opportunity. <laughs> so... My my friends were were actually in it. One girl did makeup, and my friend was a zombie in it. So the 
following year, I was just like, hey, I'm going to do it. So <laughs> I rounded up my family members and I said, you guys are going to be in my zombie movie. So that's how it started off. I just, love it. I love I it. Yeah. <laughs> now, was that did that turn into Maya's journal? Is that the, yes. awesome? Yes. <laughs> that was yeah. Like, uh, there's a five minute version that I made, but I I cut it longer because the five minute doesn't really make a whole bunch of sense. Like, oh. there's stuff in it where you're like, well, what just happened there? But it was just for a small competition, so I wasn't overly concerned. But it was it was a great great experience. That was. <laughs> it seemed like a lot of fun. Um, oh, it was. <laughs> and, and let me say, I I I really dug it. Um, I thought you did a great job with the zombies um, <laughs> because I just love the, the, I mean, all the gore and the, the blood, the makeup effects yeah. and everything like that was really well done. So yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was actually my first time working with silicone. So that was a, a new one for me. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I mean, you certainly learned quickly and well, uh, I, I took a makeup course, like, I don't know, I guess it was 15 years ago. Yeah, it must have been 15 years ago, but I never really went to pursue that. So at least I had a chance to do my own makeup effects on my own movies. So. Yeah. Well, you do everything. I mean, basically everything but act in them. Yes. Because um, you shoot, you direct, you edit, you do makeup. I mean, the whole thing. It, it's it's funny when you read the credits of your films <laughs> because there's like Nadine and just like every <laughs> this huge list of what you did. So is there one... Uh, like that you enjoy more than the others? I mean, do you enjoy the shooting part or the editing or the makeup? I mean, which one do you have more fun with or do you just like doing I, the whole thing? I like, I like all of it, but um, editing is very tedious. <laughs> yes. I'm having, I'm having problems with that. I mean, in Maya's journal, there's some major tech, tech problems in it. And over the course of the time right now, I've been learning a bit more. So I just might re-edit that and see what I can do with it too. Mm. And yeah, I, I really enjoy directing because it's a lot of fun and I always get to work with really cool people. So, And writing script though, that's tedious too. <laughs> <laughs> so you like the actual execution of it rather than yes. like pre and post. It's like right. you like actually doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Now, um, I just have to applaud you in one other regard, and that's that uh, you didn't try to pull any fancy kind of CG work or anything like that. Um, at least, you know, that I, that I could see. If you did, man, you did it great. Um, <laughs> but no, it, everything, I mean, it seemed real. I mean, you, you were pulling guts out of people and there was blood and, and stuff like that. So, um, but thank you for, you know, not trying to give the CG route a shot and possibly doing it really badly you know i'm not yeah, saying that you would exactly. but i mean there's there's a good chance <laughs> oh yeah definitely <laughs> so no, but I, like good old-fashioned blood and guts yes yes that's awesome I, I is that something you would ever consider trying to do if you had a you know an especially like a like a head blowing up or something like would you um, think oh let's try to do it in post no no i would definitely want to rig something up where something will actually explode awesome that that's what i like to hear awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it i love it and you know what the cool thing here is you said you never went to film school and you're just kind of doing it and yeah. learning as you go along yeah, and, yeah exactly <laughs> you know i i think that's really cool and it's almost better than going to film school it's almost like you're you're finding your own way and you're kind of 
of uh, making your own rules up and, and doing things, being resourceful. And whereas if you go to film school, it, you know, it's almost like you're, you're kind of taken down a path. And, right. um, you know, it might be hard to unlearn maybe some things that uh, might, I don't know, kind of almost get in your way as an indie filmmaker in film right. school. Um, yeah, and I've, I've heard people say that who've been to film school. Yeah. <laughs> they teach you a certain thing, and then you're just like, well, I don't want to do that. So yeah. kind of going on their advice and learning as I go, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so your first short, that was Maya's Journal, a zombie short, and actually both of your shorts are available online. They're on Vimeo. Um, yes. And I'll be putting these all up on my website for people to go and enjoy. <laughs> cool. Uh, um, so your second one, which uh, I, I think you just uh, recently put out there, yes. was uh, Madame Soleil's Tea Party. Yes. And um, this is interesting in, in a lot of regards. Uh, first of all, it's pretty pretty twisted. Um, <laughs> 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 which I love. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, something that was interesting is it's in French and yes. it's subtitled. Now you're talking about, you know, being from Vancouver. So um, I, I'm, I'm not that up in Canadian things. You know, I'm an American. I only, you know, concentrate yeah. on America and the rest of the world really doesn't exist. You know, you know, that's just <laughs> I'm, I'm tongue in cheek, of course. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, so as far as being French Canadian, I mean, do you, do you speak both like uh, like a French and English or uh, no? That's why it's funny. Oh, I don't speak French. Really? Yes. Wow, you have a French last name, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and of course the French I mean, Canadian thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't. I, I can do basic high school French, but that's pretty much about it. So, how did you make a short <laughs> that was in French? How did that work? Well, with the with the dialogue, I I made a really simple dialogue, and then I got like the character. Uh, the three characters are French, like actual French people. So I said, "You guys translate the script for me, and then uh, go for it." <laughs> Basically, so uh, when we were filming, um, there was a few times that they messed up, but I didn't know that they messed up. So one person said, well, they didn't say their line right. <laughs> so <laughs> that was interesting. I was like, this sounds awesome. And then it'd be like, no, I, I messed up my line. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, let's shoot again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I, I recommend that people go out and see both of these shorts because they're a lot of fun. Again, indie, no budget, just totally having fun. You're making this with family and friends and stuff. But yeah. uh, I like your ideas. I mean, there's some there's some great ideas, and, and uh, I'm interested to see what you come up with next. <laughs> well, this was sort of an in between because I already got something in in the writing works right now, and Ooh. just just because I met uh, this, I had the opportunity to meet that uh, the lead of Madame Soleil, and I was just like, wow, uh, she saw Maya's journal, and she's just like, oh, put me in one of your films, and so just one one night, I was just like, wow, I should make this really murderous like old lady like <laughs> so I, later i called her up and i said so uh yeah i came up with this idea i'll email you the story <laughs> oh i love it so yeah it just kind of worked out that way opportunity i took it <laughs> yeah yeah and it, it seems like you've had some really really cool opportunities out there you know I, of course like i said there are podcasters talking about you now and people on facebook and twitter and uh of course now you have this relationship kind of with uh, black flag tv Oh, yes. Which is yes. really cool. So how did that all come about? That, um, I met him 
on Twitter because a friend of mine in Vancouver said, hey, go check out Black Flag TV on Twitter. So I did. And uh, he sent me an email and he said, send me your film. I want to have a look at it. So I was like, okay. And then a couple days later, I filled out a contract with him and he put it on his schedule. <laughs> oh, he seems like a great guy. Um, <laughs> he's, really he's, he is. I get to uh, meet him in September. I'm going to go up to the Montreal Comic-Con. Oh, so. wow. I'm jealous. <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm going to be working the Black Flag t- TV table. So. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Man, that's really cool. And of course, uh, he, he played, has he played both of them or just the, just the one? Yeah, both of them are up. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that that's something I, I've played the the promo on uh, on my podcast before, and I'm in full support of it. I love Black Flag TV, and I know it's such doing. a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, very very cool. Now, um, you know, I love to see women making horror um, because it's not something that we've traditionally seen in the past decades. Um, it's been like a male dominated thing. And to an extent, women have been just exploited over and over again. And that's, that's obvious. Um, but, uh, what's the, what's been the reaction Have you talked to people about, you know, you're a woman making horror Do people, uh, take well to that or they, how, you know, are well, people surprised that you're, you're a girl, you're making horror movies. Shouldn't you be um, making a romance or something? I mean, are you know, are people saying that? Be making cookies. <laughs> you mean you're not in the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Well, the thing is, um, everybody that I've met in my life have just, you know, they they know me and they know that I've always been into horror, so none of it really comes to a surprise. <laughs> mm-hmm. And anybody that I've met online that's never actually ever been brought up, the fact that I'm a female filmmaker of cool. horror. <laughs> so I'm sure it will come up, but I just haven't ran into it yet. That's cool. That's cool. And I, I think people are really, really taking to it, you know, um, especially older horror fans and, and people uh, who have been into it a long time. It's, it's uh, a really great perspective. Uh, I don't think women have had really the opportunities up until now, up until a lot of indie DIY kind of things right. have really evolved. Um, and uh, now we're seeing a lot out there, and I, I love the female perspective on things because it's a it's a voice again that we haven't heard in horror a whole lot, and exactly. uh, you know that things scare women differently than they do men, you know, and, and reactions to horror and and why you're scared by things. Yeah. Um. So I think that's really cool. If you do you notice that? Do you realize that? Is that something you're you're conscious of? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. Obviously, men and women have different perspective of things. So, right. and if a man's watching a female-made horror movie and it freaks the crap out of him, then that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so, yeah, you you did that with uh, with your shorts and everything. Made some really really crazy fun uh, horror shorts there. And like I said, <laughs> I hope they keep coming. So, well, it, it was really funny because uh, my sister won't even watch it, which is really. Kind of funny. Really? Why not? Like, it's not that bad. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, but my family's totally not in the war. Like uh, uh one of the my sister in law, um, Leanne, who played on Maya's journal, mm-hmm. near the ending of Maya's journal, she's like, I can't watch that. <laughs> wow. Huh. Yeah. So and uh yeah, that was that's pretty funny. And those are my parents who were in there too. I love it. So, convincing them to to do a horror movie was kind of like my mom was like sure i'll do it 
oh yeah, your dad's going to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, something that reminds me of, and I don't know um, if you, you know who Emily Hagens is. Uh, she made um, uh, uh, Pathogen, which is a zombie movie. And um, there was a documentary about her called Zombie Girl, but she was like a 12-year-old girl. Who oh yeah! Just decided she wanted to make a zombie movie because she was brought up like she's been into horror since she was a little girl, nice. and uh, she always wanted to make a a zombie movie. So she got her parents into it, and her parents don't like horror <laughs> at all. You yeah. know, her parents aren't into it, but they agreed. You know, just because they they were supporting her vision and stuff, and even though they weren't into it, you know, they just kind of they did it and they played along and uh, had that's a great time awesome. with it. So that's, that's what you reminded me of, but yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I encourage you to look up Emily Hagen's cause, uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun what she did. It's literally a bunch of like, like 10, 11, 12 year olds in this zombie movie. And um, it's, really? it's that's awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so what kind of horror, uh, scares you? I mean, what are, what are some, some of your favorite horror movies? Um, I'm a big fan of the cheesy 70s, 80s. Nice. Like, they don't scare me. I mean, I get a good laugh out of them, but they're, like, so bloody and they're so funny and just, I don't know. I like them, like, uh, like Evil Dead's my favorite. Mm -hmm. And then you can go on to, like, you know, like I also like the creature ones, like Critters and Ghoulies and Chud, <laughs> like, stuff like that. Beautiful. Like, I, I love that. But, um... Like what that movie that I recommended to you, Martyrs, mm -hmm. that stuff gives me the wheelies. Like, <laughs> that <was> defi a, <laughs> definitely. That was a weird movie. Scary. <laughs> oh, man. Well, do you want to start talking about it? Because this is. Sure. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I asked you, I'm like, hey, let's talk about a movie. And uh, and you suggested this one. And I'm really glad because, uh, you know, again, it just seems like when I ask people to suggest movies, they always suggest ones that are kind of in my pile of movies to watch. And, and I'm like, oh, cool, I finally have an excuse to actually dig this one out and, and, and see it now. Because um, it's one I've been meaning to watch. So thank you for choosing this. But, yeah, I thought, I, I thought I'd uh, play on the, the French theme. <laughs> exactly. Exa and that's why I'm like, I swear this girl speaks French. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, just everything's pointing that yeah, way, yeah. but you don't. It's so, that's so funny. That's why it's um, funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was really good, actually. I, I know people are like, "What? You're making a French movie, really?" <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, oh well, Martyrs is from 2008. Um, it is in French, of course. It's subtitled and um, uh, directed by Pascal. Can you pronounce his last name? Laguerre. 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 Yeah, sure. Sure. Sounds good. We'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about this now, this kind of this kind of pisses me off. But according to what I read in Wikipedia, which is 100 yeah. percent accurate, you know, um, <laughs> uh, a U.S. remake is coming to us from the producers of Twilight as what? we speak. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> oh, my God. How about that? Uh, That's yeah. just going to ruin it. Well, that's what we do. I mean, we we see a great foreign horror film, and the U.S. is just like, oh, we need to have that one for ourselves. Oh, you so, mean like Wreck? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Wreck and Let the Right One In. Yeah. You know, just everything. Everything drives yeah. me nuts. Oh, man, that sucks. Yes, <laughs> it, it really does. sucks. Uh, yeah. So is there a particular reason, you know, other than the whole French thing you're talking about, but uh, 
any reason other than, again, it's one of your favorites uh, that you chose to want to talk about this? Um, the thing is, I, I grew up a uh, Roman Catholic, eh? So mm. anything that's in horror that has to do with religion, I understand it. So that's why I'm kind of, I like movies like that because I get it. <laughs> so yeah. anything with religion too, where they make it really dark is kind of creepy to me. So that's why I recommended this one. Definitely. Cause it has to do with religion yet again. Yes, it does. And it's, and it's, oh. it's messed. It's like cult stuff. You know? like, it is. It's uh Oh, wow. I mean, it, it starts off going in one direction Yes. <laughs> and you kind of think you have it mapped out in your brain, probably how yeah. things are going to play out. But then things just take a crazy turn. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil it because there's right. one huge thing that happens, you know, relatively early in the movie that I yeah. did not expect to happen at all. Uh, it involves the lead character up until that point. And yeah. um, oh, wow. Wow. Um <laughs> But uh, what we have is a, a girl who's been abused uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, she's been she's been chained down, and um, somehow uh, people have been doing these terrible things to her. Um, she escapes one day. She goes to an orphanage, and uh, she befriends a girl. Um, now, the, the main girl, her name is Lucy. Her friend is Anna. And uh, she can't quite figure out who's been doing this, why people are trying to help her, but uh, not not getting a whole lot of help. Uh, yeah. So fast forward like 15 years, and uh, they're grown up now. And Lucy has supposedly been haunted by this this really gruesome, <laughs> contorted, <laughs> scary, freaky lady that uh, seems to be stalking her and kind of... Um, I don't know, almost telling her to do things. It's like Lucy feels like yeah. she has to go and and uh, hunt out her abusers in order to appease this woman yeah. that's been haunting her. And this woman is freaky. <laughs> oh. Tell me about today. Holy. Oh, yeah. The, the way she moves and she's yeah. she's contorted in a lot of scenes. It's like, especially <laughs> there's that one scene and she's kind of like at the top of the steps and like... Yeah. Her, it seems like she's popped her shoulders out of joint or something. Something weird happened with her neck. Like, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's really bone chilling that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Her whole look, the way she shrieks and, oh, and no. oh man. Yeah. So scary. Um, <laughs> but you are just left questioning things though throughout the whole movie, because I mean, you start off and you're not quite sure um, why Lucy is doing the things she does, basically. And this isn't really spoiling things because how the movie starts out, Lucy just goes into this family's home and it seems like it's a fairly <laughs> normal family. You know, they're having exactly. breakfast. Yeah. And she kills them all with a shotgun. Like, poof, okay. <laughs> yeah. The blood in this was amazing. Like yes. the special effects in this. I was just like, wow, this is one gory movie too. It is. I must say. <laughs> it is. And it's all real. Um, I don't think there was any, you know, fancy kind of special or, uh, you know, CG kind no, of things. I, this, was, this was the real deal. <laughs> yes. Blood was everywhere. And it was it was really, really cool. Uh, gunshots were, were awesome. Um, there are really no weak parts to this. I mean, as far as any part of the production goes, you know, looking at cinematography, it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. I know, eh? Yeah. Wow. 
yeah, the the gore was great, like we're talking about. The I I don't think there were any weak performances. No, um, definitely not. So, was there any kind of real weakness that you saw to this? Anything that bothered you or kind of took you out of things? Um, not really. I think the whole thing was pretty good, and I mean the ending. Holy crap! <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And just oh man, I know you just you don't want to spoil it, but wow! <laughs> I just had no idea. I mean, this thing just completely takes you off the charts. And then um, you're wondering what what about the turban lady at the end? <laughs> oh, and she she's just referred to as like Mademoiselle or something. I mean, she doesn't yeah. you know, and she's you know, where did this lady come from? How where who are these people? She's the almighty, powerful word of God or something. I don't know. That's crazy, though. Like, it's all these rich people, too, eh? Which is, like, mega scary. So I'm sure they're all powerful some way. Yeah. It's creepy, too. <laughs> yeah, the gist of things. And we talked about the religious aspect. Yes. And, um, of course, martyrs is, a, you know, a Roman Catholic term um, or a, a Christian term, basically, yeah. very generally, um, that... Uh, Traditionally, you think of, you know, a martyr is a saint who has yeah. died in the name of, of religion, in the name of God, in the name of Christ. And, um, but uh, martyrs takes a very strange <laughs> kind of meaning exactly. um, in this film. It involves uh, a lot of torture, a lot of pain, um, and not necessarily God. Yeah. Um, it's just pretty much the afterlife. That they're talking about. There was there no real imagery, you know, no, no, uh, uh, you know, nothing about Christ, nothing about the church, anything like that. Did you? Did, uh, what religious things were there in this there was, other than? There wasn't just the the whole martyr thing and how they had those pictures up down in the basement. Oh, those are creepy yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just all of these torture victims, and uh, it was like a gallery of. Death and gore and, and yeah. wow, wow, um, good, good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now uh, a lot of torturing going on in this movie. Um, a lot of violence, a lot of really uncomfortable things, especially at the end. The things they do to this girl, they skin oh, her, <laughs> and just uh, and then she finds that other lady that has the metal plate kind of nailed to her skull, and she pulls it out, and you see the close up. I mean, wow, wow. Um, but the cool thing is, uh, I wouldn't classify this in with the whole lump of movies that, uh, you know, pop culture calls torture porn. Um, yeah, no, I don't know if you've definitely. heard that. Um, but this movie doesn't do it for the sake of having violence and for the sake right, of showing exactly. you all of these uncomfortable things. I mean, there's, there's a purpose behind it. Did you get that? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's not, just not like, oh, I'm going to do it just to shock you. And then that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there are big ideas behind this and and a message, however weird and twisted it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean there there are just so many great things about this. I just can't thank you enough for uh, <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> for wanting to talk about this. So uh, what else about it? Was there anything else about this that uh, really struck you? You know, other than the crazy things we've been talking about already. Um. No, I would say that that's about it. Um, oh, I got some. I could talk about this all night. I could uh, <laughs> I, because there there was so much that came to mind. Um, I, I noticed um, that I really liked how they cast 
the child versions of Lucy and Anna, and then mm-hmm. they cast the older versions. So they're like 15 years difference. And they obviously weren't the same actors, I wouldn't think. I mean, how do you right. pull something like that off? But the look, you know, Lucy had a very distinct look. She uh, did. She looks great. I like the way she looks. Yeah, yeah. And the child version of her... Looks is like her too. <laughs> extremely believable. It's great. I, I know. And, uh, you know, in, in a movie like this, and of course, you know, I don't think it had a you know, like multi-million dollar budget. You know, I think it was relatively uh, indie. Um, yeah. I don't know if it had a lot of backing. But, um, you know, that's that's something that would be difficult to do, especially with a, a girl who has such unique features. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I didn't think about that. (laughs) But I was like, yeah, she looks, the child looks like what she does when she's older. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I pick these things apart. I'm a total geek, and I just, I really (laughs) dig into this. And When I I watch stuff, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, I just, I appreciate it um, for the little details like that, you know, stuff that people might not pick up on. uh, (laughs) When I I watch a movie, I usually like, "Mm, I wonder how they did that. How how much did that cost, I wonder? (laughs) Or like, you know, like. I pick it that way. I was like, I wonder if I could pull something off like that. <laughs> yes, yes, like, that's cool. The camera shots, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Like I, I, I usually watch that and see what people do. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So did you get any ideas maybe for one of your next films? You know, something. Oh, that, I wish I could have something that bloody in my film. Like, I mean, <laughs> my, my tea party one. If it wasn't my friend's house, I probably would have made it like more of a splatter fest. But, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be like, oh, by the way, I'm going to stain up all your floors and walls in your couch. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be tough. That's, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because when, when yeah, we went in the tub and we're putting the blood on everybody and we're like, okay, guys, let's make this quick. No dripping on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's That's got to be tough. I mean, um, you know, how do you... I guess you'd, like you said, it would have been a gore fest, but you kind of had to respect that, you know, this is actually somebody's house. They actually live here, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. So, uh, I guess now do you write for that or, or are you trying to find more like dirty locations, more, you know, places yeah, that you probably, can mess up? Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is too, for, uh, this one movie that I plan on doing, my, my parents said that I can, uh, bloody up one of their basement rooms. So awesome. <laughs> I was like, Hey, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, this this was a lot of fun. Um, definitely Martyrs. Uh, I would recommend to anybody out there who wants to be just totally freaked out. Um, you know, there, there is nothing especially offensive about the movie, I don't think, toward anyone. Um, you know, there's, as far as the themes go, I don't think anyone has would have anything to... to get offended towards other than it's very violent and very brutal. Um, yeah. but there, there's like no real sex in it at all. Um, and that's about it. I mean, they don't, again, they don't get into any sort of religious things where they're really just, uh, offending any, any Christian stuff or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty straight up twisted horror movie that you will have no, I mean, you're not going to expect where it goes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love movies it. that do that. <laughs> When I first watched it, I was like, holy crap, seriously? Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, after uh, after the whole shotgun part and all that happened, I was just like, holy crap, where's this going? And then that twisted lady shows up, and then I was like, is it a, is it a ghost, or what is it, or is it real, or whatever? And, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, 
yeah so definitely go check this out and uh nadine wow this has been a lot of fun i'm so happy <laughs> that uh, i could talk with you tonight and find out more about you um, yeah. So where can people go to find out even more um, as far as on the web and, and things like that? Where can they uh, check you out? Um, well, I have my uh, blog page, but I mean, I'm not really good at making pages, so I'm still kind of working on it. <laughs> That's at like bluegirlfilms.blogspot.ca or something like that. And yeah, I'm really bad at computer stuff. <laughs> oh, but you're you're all over Facebook and Twitter as well. And uh, yes, people can... Yes. Follow you on there, and I recommend that they do because you're a lot of fun to talk to. Um, so <laughs> Twitter's fun, actually. It is. It is. It's amazing how many people come on this show solely because I just started talking to them on Twitter. You know, just yeah, and I've, that's how I met uh, Terror Troop, and I met that um, Black Flag was Twitter. <laughs> like, nice. Just nice. amazing. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, and Facebook. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so again. All the ways that people can contact you and find out more about you, those links will be up on my website. And, oh, um, cool. Right on. And anytime you want to come back and talk about horror and uh, whenever you do something again, if you want to come on and talk about that, you are more <laughs> than welcome. You just say the word. And, awesome. Uh, and you're here. So, Nadine, again, thank you for talking with me tonight, and let's do this again soon. Thanks for having me. <laughs> very, very appreciated. Absolutely. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's your name, officer? You can call me Zombie Cop. Well, you know, I love ambitious indie horror movies. Love them. And I just recently found out about another one in the making. It's really, really interesting. It's called The Storm. And I'm really happy right now to be talking with the man behind this wonderful film, Tony Wash. Tony, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, again, Corey, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to get me on the show so that I can talk a little bit about our projects. Absolutely. Now, you know, we've had some craziness as far as uh, scheduling, you know, doing the interview and figuring out when uh, we can talk. And, uh, you know, we've set some things up and things haven't worked out and we finally hooked up. But actually, that's something encouraging to me. Because it's like you're out there and you're doing stuff. You are doing a lot. You have a short going on right now, and on top of the storm, getting that going. And uh, so, you know, you kind of see that as a negative thing where you know we couldn't talk or anything. But I'm like, man, this guy's really busy. He's doing stuff. That's that's really really cool. So I respect that, man. Well, and and I appreciate you saying that. But again, you know, to me, it's more so just the reliability. I'm not the type of person who. Um, you know, especially being a, an independent producer, you have to be reliable. You have to um, create a, a reputation for yourself because otherwise people will stop following you and, and, and stop believing in you and having faith in you if, if you are not reliable. So that's why the last couple of weeks trying to hook up with you and, and have a conversation about our projects, you know, you're, as far as I'm concerned, you're doing me the favor here. So you know, it's it's just I've felt bad that I've been so busy that, you know, we'll set up a time and then it won't happen and then we'll set up another time. And, you know, it, it just yeah. – I'm glad it, it's taken about three weeks, but we finally sat down and, and I'm looking forward to being able to, to talk about some of my projects with you and, and uh, you know, get the word out to some of your, your listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, you're a very busy guy. The storm – you know, this is how I found out about you. 
Um, and there was a, a video up online, and you were, you were talking about it, and you showed some clips from a, a trailer that you had shot from it. And man, this thing looks great. It, it looks really fun. So if you can give everybody kind of a, an idea of what the storm is all about. The storm um, kind of came about with uh, about, you know, about this time last year, last summer. Um, and it was my intention to create just an independent film. And, you know, I've only done one other feature. The other projects that I've done have all been shorts that we hope to put in, turn into features. And, you know, as with every independent movie, um, the budget is always the, the kicker. It's always, you know, the, the crutch. It's always the, uh, kind of the cloud looming over the sun. Um, and, you know, it was kind of the same with all of our other projects that we produced, which, you know, down the road, if you're, you're looking for me to kind of tell you a bit about that, I can. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, I, I wanted to produce another feature. And uh, it had been six years since my last. And so I started kind of working out some different ideas. And I always write ideas down on paper. And I've said this story a handful of times now. But, uh, you know, I, I came across, uh, just moved. And I was cleaning out my office in my house and just found this piece of paper where I had written down um, a note to myself saying, do a roller derby horror film. <laughs> and, you know, to me, roller derby girls are just the, they're the ideal heroine for a horror film. You've got, you know, you've got your two, two different types of, of heroines. You've got your Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strodes, where they just kind of run and scream from everything in the first movie. Um, and then you have your Ripley from Alien, who's pretty much like, don't fuck with me, because yes. I'll kick your ass. <laughs> and roller derby girls are are a team of Ripleys. And I just loved the idea of having a bunch of sexy, confident, empowered, physically fit women who understand the mentality of teamwork, um, you know, as as our focal point in this film. And so we kind of started there and started talking to some of my my crew some of the essential people about you know what can we do with this and you know one person said let's do a futuristic film uh i kind of thought of a, a demonic type of movie um with demons uh and then uh my special effects guy jason actually said you know what about aliens and i'd never done an alien movie before and so uh, the movie at the time untitled, um, pretty much went from, you know, from this, this basic idea to, okay, we're going to have these roller derby chicks fighting off aliens. And I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, kind of a on the rank, you know, death race 2000 type of, you know, uh, movie where it's these girls fighting these aliens that are on skates too. And, making it cheesy like that. It was instead my intention to make a balls-to-the-wall horror film where the main characters just happen to be roller derby girls and the horror aspect of it happens to be an alien invasion. And um, so it's it's very much so uh, like 30 Days of Night meets, um, meets Night of the Creeps meets Slither but without so much of the comedy that Slither had, um, you know, me to whip it, I guess you could say. Yeah, I was totally thinking Night of the Creeps whenever I saw this. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it was great. I loved the trailer uh, was not cheesy at all. I saw it more as like 
like you said, I mean, you you described it exactly as I saw it, like balls to the wall, like very horror and not campy, not cheesy, not kind of like groans as you're watching this. It, it is literally very, very enjoyable, very gory. I mean, people have to go out and watch watch the teaser for this because uh, it is very entertaining and I think a great glimpse into what is gonna gonna happen with this film. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, and I again, I I appreciate the the boatful of compliments. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because you know a lot of criticisms that I've actually received with the trailer or the teaser, rather, is that um, it doesn't really showcase the roller derby girls, and that has been a difficult task with with my, my production team and myself in promoting this project. Is that you know, since we haven't shot it yet. Um, we we have to basically work on concepts and on story to promote the project and try and raise the money to make this movie. And so the difficult thing has been, well, we can tell people it's a roller derby horror film, and people think that's awesome. It's like to go out and produce something dealing with a team of roller derby girls fighting aliens would be difficult to do with no money as a yeah. teaser. So when I had initially intended on doing the just that, going to multiple locations, getting together multiple actors, and shooting a piece of the film here and a piece there, um, instead, again, one of my, my crew members said, why don't you just shoot a scene from the movie? And that's where the teaser kind of came about. We took um, kind of the first glimpse of the aliens, which is um, where a, a middle-aged couple is driving in their classic 50s uh, Bel Air, you know, just driving down the road late one night after going to see a movie at the drive-in, and they're just, you know, having a good time, and they're watching uh, the creation of a meteor shower in the sky. Um, and there's this kind of aurora borealis haze going across the horizon. So it looks kind of unlike anything else that anybody's ever seen before. And all of a sudden, one of these meteorites crashes down, and, uh, you know, about a mile or so down the road. So, of course, they pull over to check it out. And um, their curiosity kills the cat, so to speak, uh, at the end of the teaser. And, and, you know, a lot of people looked at it and they're like, well, what does that have to do with the roller derby movie? And, and you know, they're getting confused in that the storm is the alien movie, but it's also the roller derby movie. And, 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 there, and I do believe that the teaser has a bit of cheese to it, um, just because it looks very 50s. It's got them checking out the meteorite. They get sprayed in the face with the goo from the uh, from the meteorite egg sack and start melting and it and it is to a degree kind of cheesy and it's all set to the to the uh, runaway song by Del Shannon so it's you know kind of fun um, not really terrifying but at the same time I just I want people to get a sense of the feeling of yeah. this movie you know yeah I mean I so, don't get cheese from this I get throwback I get you're you're well, paying homage. That. You know, this is totally what I loved about horror movies of the 80s and, and even like the drive-in 50s kind of things, you know, just just seeing this kind of uh, um, this look, you know, you give this classic look to this couple like you were just talking about. And then uh, this this crazy gore and people have to go again. Please watch this. It's a great teaser. And again, you're, it's a teaser. This is not a trailer. This is not a full synopsis of what you're going to see in this film. This is whetting the appetite 
for yeah. what is to come. So, no, you're not going to see every element of the film represented in this teaser. This is just something to kind of hook you into it and get you interested in it. And uh, so, but I totally got that because, again, you know, you were in the stages of raising money for this and uh, to kind of get this off the ground, you've shot the teaser like we talked about, but uh, you know, this is still in the, in the kind of pre-production phases right now. And uh, so yeah. where is this right now in terms of production? And uh, are you shooting right now? Where are we? Well, you know, it's, it's, as I said before, it's, it's a tough path um, to take when you're producing an independent horror film. Um, Luckily, horror is is a genre, you know, of itself where you know we have fans specifically for our genre and have events like conventions and festivals that allow us to showcase our work. So, the independent director and producer can kind of get their name out there a little more easily than independent dramas and comedies. But, you know, that being said, we still have to overcome the difficult task of raising the money to shoot our films unless you're related to someone with a lot of cash and or or having a cross a producer that is willing to put forth the money because they have that type of disposable income and um so at this point you know the storm is still in the developmental pre-production phase and uh you know just being honest i can't really say i know when it's going to move past that point because um you know unfortunately we've we held a fundraiser in Chicago at the historic Portage Theater and had a nice turnout of people, had a really great event um, where we sh- we premiered the teaser for The Storm, showed some of my older films, and also held a battle of the bands where the winning band would uh, be showcased in the film, uh, which was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, that went over pretty well. And then we also held a Kickstarter.com campaign for the movie, and we tried raising a hundred thousand dollars, of which we only managed to raise twenty-five thousand. Which, you know, again, you look at it and you say twenty-five thousand dollars is a lot of money in this economy for an independent horror film. But at the same time, you know, we're looking for a significant budget, and yeah. you know, we're still under the half a million dollar mark with our intended budget. But if we want to do this movie correctly. Um, you know, we definitely need cash, and without the cash, uh, I'm really not confident in moving forward shooting it because I don't want it to be done incorrectly or for less money than what we truly need. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we're looking at doing mostly practical special effects, which would incorporate a lot of animatronics and puppeteer work for the aliens. Um, <clears throat> we have a, a good deal of set design, that is going to need to be done along with multiple locations um, from a old summer camp slash school gymnasium uh, to an actual roller derby rink and a bar. Um, you know, we, the roller derby teams uh, is the bombshells and they drive around in an old seventies or eighties uh, motor home. So we have to find an old motor home that we can use and or preferably buy. So, you know, with all that, and then obviously trying to get a named actor as well. I mean, you know, we had a lot of $40,000 in our budget for named talents, and we were hoping to get people like Adrian Barbeau uh, wow. to play the coach of the roller derby team because I think she'd be perfect for it. And, um, you know, then try and secure a younger talent that is maybe up and coming that's on a TV show or something like that. And, you know, 
we've talked to some people that have been in multiple movies that are interested in being a part of the project, but as with everybody, you know, it's it's tough to do something and not pay people or expect people to work for less than they deserve their worth. And uh, so as a result, you know, we're kind of at a standstill because we have our script done. We have a lot of our conceptual work done. We've begun scouting locations. We've done majority of the work that we can do without securing money, but are now waiting to, you know, secure the money. And yeah. So I, that's where I, we're at. I sincerely hope that you you get the funding that you need because, man, just seeing this teaser, I, I can't wait to see what grows up around it. I can't wait to see the full thing. Thank you. Uh, it looks really exciting and a lot of fun. And, um, you know, you, you've talked about something that uh, I wanted to ask you about and that uh, the effects were all practical. They were all very yep. real, nothing digital in this film at all. So do you plan on maybe supplementing your your practical with digital, going CGI a little bit, or where are you as far as that camp goes? No, no. I I mean, the the extent of the CGI in the movie will be the the meteor shower, the, the aurora borealis haze in the sky, um, and the potential for some, like, some uh, background plate type stuff, you know, yeah. for set, set design. Um, you know, at the end of the movie, I, I kind of picture the, the motorhome driving off into the sunrise with this meteor shower still going on and kind of some destruction in the distance, kind of like a zombie movie apocalypse. So, nice. you know... Nice. That type of stuff is is where the majority of the the visual effects work will come into play. Whereas all the death sequences, um, all of the creatures will be created with practical effects. Uh, I went to Tom Savini's special effects school in in Pittsburgh uh, awesome. a while back, and so majority of my team of people um, from my the effects artist who worked on teaser Jason Kane. Um, to my, my business partner, Chris Patrick, who's a teacher at the special effects school now, um, who's also, you know, he's been working on a lot of bigger movies like Super 8 and The Avengers and, and stuff like that uh, as a union artist. You know, we take pride in, in going back to the old school way of things, but obviously using new, um, new tactics and, and processes. And uh, so... You know, will our, our creatures, our, our little slug aliens, are going to be created with um, little robotics and and pull strings, uh, depending on the situation. You know, we'll create puppets. We'll probably even create some animatronics for the the more detailed shots. And as I said, all of our our death sequences and mutations and stuff, like the people who melt in the teaser, uh, will all be created with practical effects work: silicone, gelatin. Um, contacts, you know, for the eyes and uh, bladder work and, and blood tubing, you know, it's, it's the way to go. And since since that is what our company does, you know, we can pretty much do that for much cheaper than it would cost to go out and hire a Hollywood team to do the same effects work for probably five times as much. So, hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for remaining practical on the kind of visuals that I want to see being practical which are the death scenes, the blood, the the aliens, the you know the the crazy animatronics and and everything that you were talking about, but realizing that there's a place for CGI in these scenes that you cannot recreate uh, 
necessarily with any kind of practical means, you know, like you said, the meteor showers and, and those kind of things. Um, because you know where things have their place and, it just bothers me whenever people rely on CGI and say, oh, we'll, we'll take care of these blood splatters in post. We'll, we'll put this violence and everything in, in post, you know, and we'll, we'll rely on that. And thank you for being willing to get dirty, you know, and to, to kind of come up with these animatronics, these prosthetics, you know, all the blood and everything that's involved with these practical effects, but it makes so much more of a difference. Um, and we see it as fans. We, we see it and we notice it and appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for going well, that route. And, and, you know, I appreciate you saying that because it's being an, being a practical special effects artist, you know, especially in the independent realm, uh, you know, being in Chicago and all it's, it's sometimes very, um, uh, you, you can't help but kind of be a cynic about things because um, oftentimes you don't find people putting that attention into their into their projects. And so it's it's you know my my friend Jason and I we we've been trying to showcase the fact that we do special effects work and it's it's often difficult to find companies other production companies willing to hire us and not just hire us but pay us and not just pay us, but pay us what we should be getting paid Mm -hmm. to do this work. And it's funny because um, the director of photography from the Storm Teaser, as well as the short film I just shot, which I'd like to talk about in a little bit, too. Oh, yeah. um, You know, his name is Bob Stern, and just an incredible DP uh, gaffer, you know, from the Chicagoland area who's been just working on tons of independent movies and music videos and corporate videos. And I mean, the guy is getting work left and right. And it's awesome because he deserves it, and he's amazingly talented. But, you know, Jason and I talked to him on the short film set, and we're like, you know, please start telling these other independent film producers and these music videos, for that matter, that, you know, we do special effects work and that they should keep us in mind. And Rob came to me about a week ago and said, you know, I've been telling these people about you guys. He's like, I tell them all the time. Have you talked to Tony Washington, Jason Kane about about doing this stuff and and be like, no, I didn't really think about that. And then they never call us anyway. And it's like, you know, people are, independent producers are willing to go out and spend the money to get good sound because everybody bitches about when a movie doesn't sound right. Right. You know, everybody's willing to go out and spend the money to, to get a guy who knows how to light and shoot a movie because if it doesn't look good, it sucks, you know, and people are willing to pay their actors because actors complain you know, not all of them. I, I've been fortunate enough to work with amazingly talented people who are who are not petty and um, and and at the same time uh, materialistic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're doing it more for the craft and the passion. Um, but there are a lot of actors who are not like that. And so, you know, oftentimes as a producer, you have to go and spend an insane amount of money to pay somebody to act in your movie, you know, in fear of them walking off your set or not wanting to be a part of it and having to settle on using your friends. And yet no one, you know, sorry for my long point here, but no one is willing to go out and spend the money to hire real effects artists. And even when they do go and hire an effects artist, 
Um, Jason has been hired a couple of times to do work, and halfway through, it's like people don't want to listen to his ideas. People don't want to pay him what he deserves to get paid, and and it's just you know it, it's really unfortunate. And um, and as I said, a lot of times it it, it makes us feel really underappreciated, um, even though fans all demand seeing the practical effects. And, and as a horror film fan myself, I beg for independent horror films to come out that actually take the time to develop their production design and develop their practical effects work, because otherwise it just sucks, you know? I I, I hate it when, a, when an independent producer says, oh, well, I made this movie for so-and-so much money, and it's like, well, that's great, you, that's a feat in and of itself, but then, but then you watch the movie, and it's like everything happens off-screen, and they're like, oh, well, I was leaving it up to your imagination. I'm like, that's bullshit, it's a cop-out. You know, yeah. if you took... If you took half of your budget for your camera department and put it into some decent practical special effects work, you'll you'll be able to showcase that without getting gory. I mean, you don't have to make it a, a saw film or anything like that, but you know what I mean. I, I don't mean to bitch on your show or anything. No. It's just you you've you've kind of hit me at a point where you know I've been producing independent films for seven years professionally now and. You know, I I feel so fortunate to be surrounded by such a group of of talented people, and yet it seems as it just gets unappreciated because you know you have your small group of fans and your friends and your family and and the people who are fortunate enough to be around you to hear about you, you know, horror fans and stuff that you meet at conventions and everything. But other than that, it's like I see all these big budget horror films being produced year in and year out, and just ideas to the ground and and just torturing fans with crappy movies and crappy plots and crappy effects and and crappy everything and it's just I, I've I've gotten to the end of my string of tolerance as a fan and as a filmmaker because I feel like we deserve the opportunity to be in the showcase at the same level as as movies like Paranormal Activity and and even the Hatchet films and mm-hmm. and you know. The, the House of the Devil and, and Ty West projects like the Innkeepers and stuff. I mean, yes. you know, I'm I'm definitely not complaining the work that those guys have done because I think in in their own rights those movies are great. You know, and and I, I give those guys mad props for um, for getting to the level that they've gotten because that is success. And I only hope that one day I will be in the same budget ranges as they're currently in. But you know, at the same time, I, I just I look at a lot of the other crap that comes out, and I'm just like, Jesus, mm-hmm. please, somebody with money, take a look at what I'm trying to do here and what yeah. my people are dedicating hours upon hours upon weeks upon months of their time to create with me and and give us the chance that, that they got with their movies. And, you know, you'll not be disappointed. I, I promise you. Yeah. Yeah, and as as a horror fan myself, a big horror fan, I, I see you as the backbone of everything that is great about the horror genre, especially indie horror, which is where it's at, uh, for the reasons that you just talked about. Um, mm-hmm. Because everything that I love about horror, the the grittiness, the the gore, the practical effects, the passion. It goes into it and the personal touch that, you know, you are a fan making movies for fans. You know, you know yeah. exactly 
what we like, why we like it, and you're making those kind of films, not because you think they're going to sell, not necessarily, uh, primarily, not because you you think you can make a buck and you know what's what's proven out there in the genre, but because you know you'd love horror, you know what works, and that's the kind of film you're going to make, and hopefully. It, it it does make money for you. Hopefully, it does prove successful for you. I'm not I'm not saying that you you can't be an indie horror film maker and and not be successful at the same time and uh, make money and and see a lot of money come in. But um, I, I appreciate that you are a fan and you know what we like, and uh, that's oh. that's exactly what I'm getting from you, and I love it. I love it. Thank you. And and. You know, and, and the funny thing about it is that it's it's almost like I wish that I wish that I could put my not just my my opinion, but also my my belief and the knowledge I have as a fan and, a, and an independent filmmaker into the minds of the people I'm talking to about raising the money for the movie, about yeah. giving us money for the movie, and and I don't know very many wealthy people, so it's not like. I've got 20 people that I've talked to that are each worth, you know, 15, 20 million a piece that I'm asking for 20 or 30 grand from, and they're just giving it to me. I mean, we, we really haven't been talking to people about, you know, independently financing this film aside from the whole Kickstarter campaign and the fundraiser event we had. But I really wish that I could show people just how a movie is guaranteed to be financially successful if it can just be made. You look at a movie like Hatchet. You look at a movie like House of the Devil. And, you know, those movies, and, and those are just two examples. Those are two examples of, of tons of independent films that, that can be made successfully. And, and, I, and I'm not talking about movies like Insidious, which was an independent film, but Insidious starred huge Hollywood actors. Mm-hmm. It, it had, you know, it had the guys who created Saw behind it. So you can't really consider that independent because it's probably a twenty million dollar budget. Yeah, but, and insane digital effects, you know, to be and insane digital effects. Yes, yeah. but but you look at like Hatchet, which was made for like one point five million, and House of the Devil was also made for one point five million. And those movies, the reason why independent by horror film fans like those so much is because it was made first of all because the person said, "Here's an idea. I want to make this slasher film about Victor Crowley. Here's this idea. I want to make this movie about." You know, this babysitter goes to this house and ends up being sacrificed to the devil, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it's like they got the money to make the movie. They produced it. They released it. And fans loved it because it wasn't a 70s, 80s style throwback type of movie, which is what horror fans such as you and myself are desperately looking for in this sea of crap that has been coming out recently. And, and it's not like new horror films aren't good. I love majority of the remakes that have yeah. come out. The only one I really didn't like was Nightmare on Elm Street. All the rest of them, yeah, I thought sucked. were awesome. Right. You know, right. and and even even a lot of the new movies that are not remakes, I think are great. I thought Insidious was great. I I liked the Paranormal Activity movies for what they are. Um, you know, but, but let the right one in. Let me in. Those are incredible movies that have that you know were independent. Granted, but you know, an, an original idea, and I just—I'm not saying that, that most horror films nowadays suck entirely because there is a place and an audience for them. It's just that 
the fans, the people that I'm surrounded by when I walk through a convention hallway, you know, and the people that are lined up to talk to Sid Haig and, you know, <laughs> Ken Foray and, and those types of people, we desperately are looking for the movies that take us back to our childhood, that take us back to our, our youth when we were watching movies behind the couch or, you know, from the stairs when our parents didn't know we were watching them and, and, and that type of shit. You know, again, I always tell people, the movies that I love are the, ma- are the ones with the magic in them, that sense of adventure. That's what I want to create in all my projects. Movies like The Goonies and the Indiana Jones trilogy, because the fourth one doesn't count, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, Star Wars, right. all those movies that just give you that 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 adventure and then, like I said, that magic. And, you know, that's what we're trying to create with, with all of our projects. And, and you know, all, it's, all it takes is the budget. And I, I firmly believe that, that this project would be super successful because fans would eat up a roller derby alien horror film seriously like how could you not want to see that movie get made it's right. just, we don't have we don't have the the ability to get the word out to as many people because we don't have the ability to produce commercials or you know we don't know any rich uncles uh or we're not related to martin scorsese or francis or Coble or whatever so it's it's just tough it's it's really tough and uh Again, you know, typically I don't bitch and complain during my interviews, and one of my co-producers will probably yell at me if he hears this. But uh, <laughs> you know, you, Corey, you you seem like you you really um, you seem like you really understand where where the independent producer comes from and the struggles that we face on a daily basis. And um, you know, it's it's such a love. But at the same time, it's such a pain in the ass because you just want you just want to get the money because if you get the money, then then everything else comes. You know, right. we've been doing this, like I said, for seven years now, and I'm not rich by any means. I'm a bartender, for Christ's sake. And and you know, it's like I'm fortunate enough to have a group of people that want to work on these projects because they believe in them, and that's how they get done. But if we were to actually get the budget like what Hatchet has or like what House of the Devil had, then, I, man, I, I couldn't imagine being able to call my crew up and say, guess what, you're getting a day rate, you know? Guess what, we're actually going to make the storm. It's going to happen, you know? But, uh, you know, and, and I'm not going to be pessimistic about it because I believe that it will happen eventually. It's just, do I believe that the storm is the next film for me to produce? Or am I going to have to put something else together for like twenty five, thirty grand first? That might be the case, and it's sad because yeah. we've got the script, we've got the movie, it's ready to go. We've got the promotional artwork, we've got a teaser, we've got our our cast. You know, we've got everything ready to go. We just need the money. So, <sighs> have I convinced you to invest yet, <laughs> dude? I'm totally. The, I'm like preach it, brother. Man, I am. I'm. I'm totally worshiping at the the altar of tony right now uh, i mean yeah yeah i i yeah i'm totally in line with everything that you have to say and dude i mean hatchet we look at hatchet and i wish that that budget was in your hands because that movie to me had so much potential to do great things and it had a lot of big names of course you know tony todd and and uh, uh sure, robert sure. england and yeah uh, you know, Kane Hodder, of course. But uh, I wish that you could have that money to do 
your vision because I saw Hatchet as not quite so great. I mean, I I, I saw it as, as catering to a very, very mainstream horror audience that people who really, really appreciated slasher movies uh, almost on a very superficial level. And I don't mean to, to insult fans of that movie or insult horror fans. Of course, if you like that movie, that's great. But to me... Uh, it, it wasn't so great. Um, it was too produced. It was too mainstream. It was too playing on the conventions of the slasher genre almost to, to please fans of that genre too much. Um, well, so the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that it wasn't scary and I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of watching horror films get produced that are not scary, that are more funny. And I yeah. I liked Hatchet for what it was. It was a fun movie, but it wasn't scary. And it was, I agree with you, it was overproduced and it was very cheesy. The, yeah. Even the gore in it was very cheesy. The characters were very cheesy. Like nobody took it seriously right. at all. And, and I just... That's what I'm just I'm begging someone to say, you know what? I want to see a serious horror film get produced that's got its funny parts, that's got its nudity, that's got its gore, you know, everything that a good horror film should have, but at the core, it's a horror film. It's not a fucking comedy. Right. Right. And thank you. I mean, there is a voice of reason out there. I mean, there there are the right people out there that want to make these films. And uh it, it's not just people out there looking to make a buck in uh, these proven genres that are formulaic and and uh you 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 want to make something that scares us to get to i mean you, you talked about the reason we love horror growing up as children i mean i'm a child of the 80s and uh you yeah. know i saw things like return of the living dead and um you know just all kinds of crazy horror like that, and even going back further, The Exorcist and, and Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, and and uh, those are things that really got to you and really affected you, and uh, you don't get that. I mean, you see a lot of visuals, you see a lot of a lot of gore, a lot of torture, torture porn, quote torture porn, you know, yep. anymore, yep. and uh, that's about it. But rarely do you get the horror film that comes around that really grabs you, that really pulls you in. And affects you the kind of thing that you you just think about for weeks and weeks after you see it, and you can't let it go. It just it it captures your your thoughts in your mind for a long time, and uh, that's what true horror is. And uh, that sounds like where you're going, man. And I, you know, and I, um, I think something too that like we we need to keep in mind is. Is like you and I are both saying, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, too. I'm, I'm going to be 32 next month. And so, you know, growing up to me, the first horror films I ever saw were obviously the black and whites, like Creature from Black Lagoon and Frankenstein and stuff. But in uh, The Thing from Another World was yes. my favorite as, as, you know, a young kid. But then I graduated, you know, to when I was seven or eight, you know, I started watching like Nightmare on Elm with my dad. And Fright Night was huge that was like the first horror film that i was actually able to sit and watch from start to finish without my parents you know getting mad that i was watching it or whatever and mm-hmm. and yeah i mean you know you just you see movies like that house child's play even the original psycho yeah. um you know you like as kids 
we look at those and, and, and we see those, and that's what makes us horror fans because that's what we grew up on. And those are classics. Every one of those movies that I just named is a classic in its own right. If you ask a horror film fan if they've seen those, they all say yes, unless they're under the age of 18. Because unfortunately, kids nowadays, they don't know anything about older horror films unless they have an older brother or a cool father or uncle that shows them that stuff, or they have the the, the foresight to, to go out there and, and search these movies out themselves. You know, um, I was very fortunate. I was 15 working at a video store, and I had a guy who worked there with me who was probably like 22, 23 at the time, and he was just like, dude, you like horror films? You like the Friday 13th, the Nightmare on Elm Street? Because I knew all the basic ones, the main ones. He's like, watch this, watch this, watch this. And he points out Scarecrows and, you know, Prince of Darkness, which I'd never seen, and, you know, shit like that where you're just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How have I never heard of this movie before? I've seen the box on the shelf at the video store, but kids <laughs> right. don't even have video stores anymore. Kids have Netflix, so they don't even know what these movies are anymore. And, right. and, and that's, that's my point. Is like We, as, as fans and as filmmakers, need to be telling the younger audiences about these classic films and make movies that they can watch so that a, a kid's not saying, the scariest movie I ever saw was Saw 7. Because, like, <laughs> Really? The scariest movie I ever saw was Paranormal Activity 3. Seriously? Seriously, dude? Like, you need to go back and watch The Exorcist. You know, you need right. to see this girl's head turn around 360 degrees because it was practical effects and it wasn't CGI. And tell me that that didn't really happen when you're 10 years old and think that that really did happen. You know what I'm saying? The yeah. spider walk. Tell oh, me, my God. How, how the hell did they do that, you know? Amazing. Amazing. Have we, have we lost kind of that experience? I mean, you know, people like you and me, we saw that either, you know, we rented movies at the video rental store or they were on like HBO or Cinemax late at night and, you know, we caught them that way. But anymore, it's Netflix, it's, you know, things online, uh, you know, things in the, the mainstream movie theater. I mean, you go to a movie theater anymore, the only thing you can see is like the big mainstream films anymore. They're, they're very few places where you can go to see really cool, more independent horror films or lesser-known films like that. So, I don't know, is that whole experience lost on kind of the online thing going on right now? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't really say I know the answer, you know, overall, but, I mean, a lot of it is just marketing and, and, mm -hmm. and money. It all relies on the money. There was a film festival a couple months back that I'm obviously not going to mention the name of, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of independent filmmakers have been talking about it, and they were disappointed because it had been promoted as like this independent film festival, you know, and it ended up not being that at all. It ended up being more so a a showcase of of independent films that were produced for over a million dollars. And and from what I understood, it was one of the organizers of the festival. There was, you know, like five or six people together. But it was one in particular who basically was saying, like, you know, I only want these films in this festival because they're going to bring the money in. Like, you know, we're going to premiere 
big time movie like like if they had premiered to let the right one in or something if they had talked to Matt at releasing and had got a movie like like let the right one in or murder party or something to premiere there um, or a big movie like House of the Devil or Hatchet you know and it's like and we're gonna bring in the you know a big director like Ty West and 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 you know showcase them and everything and I get it you know you need to sell tickets you need to get people in the seats I get I do get that. But at the same point in time, when, you know, when most of the movies are not independent films and when you showcase four different things from, and, and you know what, I'm just going to say, like, maybe strike this part from the interview if you can. <laughs> uh, the bottom line is you just got to suck it up and say, you know what, I'm above it. I'm better than that. I'm not going to succumb to it. I'm going to become it. I'm just going to keep going and do what I do best and hope that one day, I continue to grow my audience to the point of where my audience ends up enveloping one person or a group of people who have the capabilities to take me to the next level. And whether that's a person or a producer or a production company, you know, that's, that's what you can help. And, and that's what we're hoping with the storm. I and mean, we still have one or two people we can talk to mm-hmm. and we, you know, private investors, and we still have a couple of independent production companies um, you know, I'm going to seek out Dark Sky Films, which uh, produced um, Hatchet 2, and I know they. I don't. I know they released. Uh, I think the Blu-ray of House of the Devil, and they helped either produce or release Stakeland, which was an incredible independent horror film. If nobody's seen it, you need to see Stakeland. Um, and the Innkeepers from Ty West. Yes. Um, and they're right out of uh, Orland Park, which is you know about an hour from me. So we're definitely going to go and talk to them um you know but you know i'd love to be able to talk to roger corman's company i think yeah. roger corman would eat the shit out of the storm you know yeah, yeah. i would I, so i could only hope that roger corman would invest in your kind of film like distribute your film you know especially you know I, i've seen some recent roger corman uh, uh sponsored not sponsored but distributed films i guess that uh, I was a little more than underwhelmed with. Are you and, talking about all like the the, the two headed shark and mega shark crocodile? Oh shit! Movies? Camel spiders uh, and yeah, yeah, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, you have it's, so it's much more to offer than than that. Um, it is, and and I understand that their audience has always been of the let's make a, a, a no budget creature film with a monster that's made out of styrofoam, and and hell, I'm all for that. But there's no reason why you can't do the same exact thing and still make it scary, you know? Right. Like, uh, and, and I don't really have a specific example off the top of my head, but even a movie like Abominable. Did you ever see Abominable? It came out a few years ago. It had Tiffany Shepis. And, no. Um, no, I didn't. I want to say the guy's name was is like Matt McCoy or something. He was in the, the later... Um, after uh, Steve Gutenberg stopped being in the, the Police Academy movies, this guy kind of took over for Steve Gutenberg. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I think his name is Matt McCoy. Um, right. And it's it's a fun movie. And it's, um, I want to say maybe Tony Todd was in it too. But it's a, you know, it's a, a total creature movie um, that, that is fun. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's amazing, but it's fun. And, and you know... I, that's what I think. You look at like movies like that Asylum are putting out, and it's just like one bag of shit after another. Yeah. And if they hear this, I don't even care if they hear this, because 
you know, it, it's like, yeah, you guys are making shitty movies. Put, get, get somebody like when they had Lee Scott, who is one of their directors doing some of their earlier work, like the beast of Bray road. And, and uh, they did a Frankenstein movie. I don't know, remember what it was called. Uh, maybe Frankenstein reborn or something. But I mean, these movies were like gritty and visceral and good. And then it's like, they put together like, you know, all these new crappy movies that are just stupid. Like I think they did the two headed shark movie and, and it's just like, why, why are you guys doing this? You have budgets, please. There are, there are hundreds of thousands of independent producers and writers and directors that are out there aching for the opportunity to get a budget that to, to do something, even if it's not their own project, call us up, you know, go out there to IMDb or go to YouTube and just try and find independent horror film uh, trailers and see the talent that's out there and, and call up some of my friends or call me for Christ's sake and, and, and hire me to freaking shoot a movie. You don't even have to pay me any money, you know? And that's the other thing. And I'm sorry, this has totally become a bitch stuff. This uh, is awesome. I'm loving this man. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, I'm glad you're liking it. But I mean, that's, that's like another thing is like, I'm, I am super duper fortunate to be attached um, as a co-producer to um, the first ever Creepy and Eerie um, based movie. And I, if you don't know what Creepy and Eerie are, they were the comics that uh, that came out back in the 60s that rivaled the EC Tales from the Crypt type of comics and the nice. Volta Horror and stuff. And, um, and so they've, they've been trying to... Uh, some people picked up the rights to the comics. They've re-released them through Dark Horse, um, which is huge. You know, um, yeah. sold thousands upon thousands of copies of the re-released, you know, comics. And they've been, you know, they've had a lot of big Hollywood people interested in producing one of one of their stories and just hasn't really happened yet. And so some of my co-producers contacted them and we've been fortunate enough to be brought on to, um, to try and raise the money to produce a, a version of one of their stories called Cry Fear. And I'm super excited to be a part of this project because, you know, this is a, a staple in the horror genre. Creepy and Eerie have been around for 50 years now. They've had, they've got fans all over the place. I mean, the guy who runs DreadCentral.com, his name is Uncle Creepy. Right. That's a pseudonym. And Uncle Creepy is the the kind of Crypt Keeper character from the Creepy comics. Oh, so, he's a great guy. You yeah. Know, it's huge. It, yeah. It's, so it, it's just a huge opportunity. And we went out and met with the producers of the comics, who are also the producers, obviously, of the movie, uh, in New York a couple months back. And it was awesome because these guys were super enthusiastic about us. They were really enthusiastic about a lot of the ideas we brought to the table. And these guys are guys that have been in the industry for a while. I mean, one of them is they're, you know, is they're the distributors of like Winter's Bone and Super Size Me, and um, they're, they hmm. run Submarine Entertainment. And so it was huge to be able to sit and meet with these guys that have put out such quality work. And one of the two producers was one of the producers on House of the Devil. And so to be able to sit and talk to him about that movie and about, you know, working with a guy like Ty West and, um, you know, and the success that that movie has, has, has brought with it, um, you know, was really great. But with all that being said, you know, the original point I was getting at is that, 
you talk to these guys and they want to create a script for this movie and everything for cry fear for the creepy and eerie movie and so you know i i like try and 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 stake my claim as the as a director as a writer you know i've written tons of scripts i've, I've directed a handful of projects now and people have seen my work compliment it and 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 whether they're lying to me or not is beside the point because as far as i know they like it and i have over half a dozen film awards from festivals across the country mm-hmm. and you know so i'm not going to sit here and, and toot my own horn with the exception of saying that you know i am an independent director i am an independent writer i believe that this will be a good opportunity for me to showcase my work in a bigger budget level and right. you know i fought to, to try and get on board as the writer or director, and they wanted the named writer and director. And I understand that. You know, I, I totally understand why, because it brings credibility to the project. And I don't have credibility except for on a smaller level. So I was fine with that. But, you know, you 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 kind of come on and you, you, you talking as a producer, you hear the budgets that these guys are talking like, you know, I said, well, you know, what about Adam Green or Ty West? You know, they worked with Ty West on House of the Devil. You know, what do you think about bringing him on board as as a as the writer or director again? And you know, and I'm not saying whether or not you know he was interested or not, or whether they did talk to him or not. Right. But the bottom line is, is that what they did say was, you know, he probably wouldn't work at a budget range this low as well as a bunch of other people, you know, a, a lot of these other guys, the guy who did that Tucker and Dale versus the evil, yeah. um, you know, the, all these, oh, there's so many different ones, like the guy who did Stakeland, whose mm. previous movie was Mulberry Street, which was six years ago, seven years ago. It's like, right. you know, these, these guys, all of a sudden they get to this range where it's like all of a sudden you got to pay them a hundred grand just to write your script for you. And it's like, dude, Pay me five thousand dollars and I'll write you a script. You know, yeah. and so that's that's my whole thing. Is I just I don't I don't understand. I, I get money. I, I get it. I totally get it. But like coming from a guy who's a part-time bartender, full-time film producer, who probably doesn't clear thirty grand a year, you know, I just I, I honestly don't don't understand why people aren't willing to just take a risk with with somebody who who's done some quality stuff at a low budget level that's entirely what happened with Ty West the yeah. producer liked the roost which Ty West made for $15,000 he thought the roost was really cool and he said I want you what do you think about the house of the devil movie brought him on board and now Ty West is one of the biggest names in independent horror you know right. all because he took a shot with him and it's like that's all I'm asking is for for, for not even me you don't want to do it with me, that's fine. If you think I suck, that's fine. But there are a lot of people that I know who are quality filmmakers, who are, who are not making any money doing what they do, but they're doing it so much better than people who are making millions of dollars doing this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just give them a chance. Please, just give them a freaking chance. Oh, man. And that's it. I'm done ranting. Let's talk about pleasant things. Oh. Like puppies. This, like this is pleasant things to my ears you know everything you're saying because i i I agree with it and i could only hope to drink at the place that you're serving at like right now because (laughs) seriously like like keep going keep going you know but every every horror fan feels that way every horror fan does you know as i said horror fans 
are, are a breed in and of themselves. We're, we're just the same as sci-fi geeks or comic book nerds. You know, um, we, we, like our, we, we like our genre so much that we will die for our genre. I will never yes. stop being a fan of the horror genre, whether it's books or comics or movies or video games or haunted houses. I will never stop enjoying the thematic elements of the genre. And so with that being said, you know, when you go to a convention and you're walking around and you're seeing all these other people eight, ranging in age from five-year-olds with their parents, you know, five-year-olds dressed up like Jason Voorhees, carrying a plastic machete, to, to guys in their, you know, men and women in their 70s and 80s and even older, mm-hmm. you know, like, like even the guy who played the original creature and the creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, that guy was yeah. like 85 <laughs> years old when I met him, and he was still rocking it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like you've got such an eclectic, wonderful group of fans that are all saying the same exact damn thing I just said. They don't want – they're going to go and pay money to see movies like Saw 7 because they're horror fans, and they only get so many horror films in the theater. That's why those movies make money. Mm-hmm. I didn't go see Saw 6 or 7 in the theater, but I saw all the rest of them in the theater. You know, I, I did not go see Paranormal Activity 3 in the theater, but I did see 1 and 2. I did just go see Prometheus in IMAX, and I did spend – fucking $19 a ticket for my girlfriend and I wow. to see it in IMAX, you know? Yeah. And it was, I mean, in IMAX 3D, all I have to say, Prometheus, was mind-blowing how beautiful the movie was. I didn't necessarily like the plot of it, but visually, it was one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen, and it was so crisp. But the bottom line is, is that I spent close to $40 to go see that in the theater <laughs> for, a, for a two-hour experience, you know? And... And I'll never get that back. You know, it's not like right. I own it now and I can watch it whenever I want. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I spent yeah. $40 for my girlfriend and I to do. And so it's not like, you know, when, when people are sitting here saying, when, when big producers in Hollywood are like, oh, well, you know, Shaw's are making tons of money, so why would we stop making them? Or Paranormal Activities are making tons of money, why would we stop making them? Well, you shouldn't stop making them because they are making money. But they're only making money because horror fans want to see horror films. And we only get so many that we're going to go see whatever we can because we want to, because we enjoy the experience of watching a horror film, whether it be Paranormal Activity 10 or whether it be Saw Part 44, you know? But at the same point in time, we're begging, we're we're yearning for, for independent movies that are going to bring us back to the days when we, when we watched a movie and we're like, holy shit, that was good, and watch it five more times that week, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there are movies like that nowadays. I, I, God, I was blown away by Let the Right One In. Yes. I was blown away at Stake Land. I, I, I like House of the Devil for, for what it is, yeah. though I think it's boring as fuck for the first hour. And nothing happens in it. And but even the innkeepers, the innkeepers was great. I thought. Yeah, and that's where again I, I feel like it's like tension building, tension building, tension building, tension building, no payoff. And and that's the difference. And and you know what? I met Ty West. I I went and saw the double billing of House cool. of the Devil and the Chicago premiere of the Innkeepers with Brian actually. 
um, and our girlfriends. And, and it was a great time, you know, and, and I met Ty West and I talked to him for a minute or two and he seemed like a nice enough guy. And I got nothing against him as a filmmaker, because like I said, I, I envy and I only hope that one day I will be at the same level as him because he's my age. We both shot our first feature at the same time back in 06. And, and so I, I envy the amount of success that he's gotten in his seven years of being a professional compared to me. But, but at the same time, it's like I look at the stuff he does, and it's like there's so much mood and so much – there's such an aura, such yeah. a, a setting around his projects. But, but then it's like there's no pain at all. And it's like, dude, give me Ty West's budget. Give me Adam Green's budget. And, and I'm not saying that my movie's going to win Academy Awards. And I'm not saying it's even going to win Best Feature at Scream Fest. But what I am saying is I will do a damn good job as a team. We'll do an even better job at creating a quality independent horror film that will make the money back that was invested into it, and then some, and fans are going to love. You know, There will at least be enough fans in the world that are going to love my movie to put it on the same level as House of the Devil and The Innkeepers and, and Hatchet and, and Frozen in any of those movies. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Oh yeah, I, I I have no doubt you could easily outdo a lot of those films with uh, even a fraction of the budget that they had. So that's uh, and and again, nothing against those films. Right, I right. I'm not saying that they're except bad. Frozen. Frozen saying... pissed me off. Yeah, that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I I thought I thought the fact that they were able to put together a movie that has three people on a on a on a you know ski lift. That's pretty impressive. You know, I'm not going to say that it was worth $3 million, which is what I believe their budget was. But you know what? People got to get paid. People got to get paid. I'm sure Adam Green probably probably made about 150 grand on that. And I'll tell you what, that's got to feel pretty damn good to get a $150,000 paycheck to shoot a movie, which he probably would have shot for uh, for free, you know? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, you you were shooting such great things greater things than a lot of these mainstream films that you're talking about and you're doing them for like nothing i mean you're you're literally going into debt for for a lot of what yeah. you're doing and uh, i really appreciate that dude I, I i was reading about you i was seeing what you've done before and i would really love to see a, a chance in hell um, that's something I, I keep reading about when you come up and, uh, you know, it, it's one of the things you, you've won an award for. It's one of your short films. Um, yeah. but it's a, like a, a world war two kind of horror film. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about what a chance in hell is about? Cause it looks really interesting. Thanks. And yeah, I mean, I'll, and if you send me an email, just cause that way I'll get it on my computer, I'll send you the link to it so you can watch it on Vimeo. Oh, damn. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, I again, I appreciate all the compliments, man. I mean, you know, if if I had if I had ten thousand people like you, you know, you said earlier you'd give me a hundred dollar tip. So if I gave you a Kickstarter campaign link, no. if you threw that hundred bucks in, if I had ten thousand people like you, I'd have my budget. You know. Wow. Yeah. And that's what it's all about is just finding people. And even if I have to do it one person at a time, you know, like with you, you didn't know me from Adam three weeks ago. But right. Brian was was Brian, who's a good friend of mine, quality filmmaker, great podcaster. You know, he he put you in touch with me, and thanks for that, I've got one more fan, and and I couldn't be more appreciative. But um, 
you know, a chance in hell is basically a, another example of a project that had just has so much potential and we're just waiting on the money. And, um, basically back in 2010, uh, or 2009, rather, my director of photography, Mitch Martinez, had called me. He was out in Philadelphia. And uh, Mitch and I worked before on my feature, It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. And um, and so he's basically like, hey, you know, I've got the Red One camera, and I've been shooting all these corporate industrial videos. And he's like, I'm sick of it. He's like, I want to shoot something creative. Let's do something. He's like, I don't care if I don't make any money. I will drive from Philadelphia to Chicago and spend some time with you. Let's just shoot something, you know? So I was like, all right, well, let me come up with it. Well, let me come up with an idea and we'll do something. And I had a, a regular of mine at the bar that had been collecting World War II memorabilia since the 60s. And he's got all these uniforms and weapons and, and equipment and stuff. And so I talked to him. He's like, yeah, I totally do it. And, um, you know, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty, you know, Nazi zombie levels um, at the time, uh, you know, because it was the winter to pass my time, you know, instead of going to the bar or whatever and spending money. And so I talked to my friend Johnny, who I was playing the game with, and I was like, dude, let's, he's a writer. And I was like, let's write a Nazi zombie movie. And uh, so we basically wrote a 35-page script, um, collaborated on it, and uh, it's, a, it's a World War II Nazi zombie film. Um but the big thing that's always bugged me about Nazi zombie movies is that you've got all these films like Dead Snow and Shockwaves and Zombie Lake and, you know, <laughs> some of the more recent ones even, like like the trailer for Worst Case Scenario, which looked like an incredible movie if they could have gotten the budget for it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like all of them take place in present day. Like these aliens are hiding out for 70 years and all of a sudden decide to pop up and raid some college co-ed's party. And it's like, what the fuck are you like? I'm a horror <laughs> fan. I'm not a moron, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Dead Snow is hysterical, and I love it for what it is. But a horror film, it certainly is not. No. And not so really, my no. intention, no. And so my intention was, we've never seen a horror film, a Nazi zombie movie that takes place during World War II. Mm -hmm. So let's make one. It's Saving Private Ryan meets Thirty Days a Night <laughs> meets yes. Rambo, basically. <laughs> wow. And. And so we, we produced a 35-minute short film. We shot in eight days. Um, it was crazy. Uh, you know, we had a 100-year-old factory that we were shooting in, and we were shooting about 19, 20 hours a day for eight days straight. I got 20 hours of sleep over the eight nights total. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it was just absolutely psychotic schedule. But we banged it out, and we had an incredible cast, a great crew, and, um, you know, we ended up getting this 35-minute version done premiered it in that summer in 2010 and you know right off the bat we had it on youtube and it got 5,000 views of the trailer in a weekend and started wow. getting calls from all these sales agents and, and small-time distributors and stuff and so we went with some sales agents in la they took it to can we we drummed up tons of interest from the can film market and then even secured some pre-sales offers um for distribution of the feature length but, you know, the thing is, is that we haven't raised the money to turn it into a feature yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had my sales agents who are my co-producers, they've been out in L.A. trying to secure funding for it for two years now. And we're looking to shoot up in Ontario, Canada. And they've even had people up in Canada looking for money. And we've got a financial finder in Pennsylvania who's been looking, too. And it's like nothing has worked out. You know, it's a lot of, well, this is probably going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. 
and wow. this is probably going to happen, and then it doesn't happen. And you know, you really start to get, you really start to get, um, you lose a lot of the the motivation. You lose a lot of the uh, enthusiasm. You know, yeah. um, after seeing a project just kind of sit for two years, and and a lot of the enthusiasm from the crowd has died too. I know that a chance in hell will instantly gain that momentum back as soon as we start shooting it. Mm. But for right now, it's just kind of lying in the pool of, of muck waiting for someone to resurrect it and pull it out. And it just, you know, we even went so far as the, the co-producers in, in uh, L.A. Um, are friends with Ralph Singleton and brought him on board as an executive producer. Ralph Singleton produced Pet Cemetery. He directed... Uh, the graveyard shift nice. he produced last man standing with bruce willis and clear and present danger and uh you know with harrison ford for christ's sake he did because of Win dixie you know i mean this guy's producing major motion pictures for millions upon millions of dollars and even with his name attached we still could not raise the budget have not yet rather i'm not going to say we never have but hmm. we haven't yet and so that's been the problem, and that's why, no matter what, whether it's the storm or whether it's something else, I will produce a feature-length film by the end of this year because I've been sitting waiting for a project to take off because I don't want to sit at the same level. Now, I have a lot of friends who, who shoot movies, and they're amazingly talented filmmakers, but they keep making movies at the same budget range. They make a movie for five grand, and then a year later they make another movie for five grand. And then two years later, they make another movie, and it's for eight grand or ten grand. And it's like, you know, you're doing what you can when you can with what you have, and I get that. I totally get that. But you need to strive for more. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that they're not. I'm just saying that the quality only improves so much when you don't have more money because you can't add production design. Yeah. You can't add a named actor. You can't add more effects. You can't add nudity because it costs money to show it to have a girl take her top off for you you know stuff like that right and and again these are all things that sell a movie and that's what i've tried to do is i've tried to say okay i made a movie for 15 grand okay i've made three movies for 15 grand now it's time for me to make one for i don't want to make one for 30 grand because what can you really do with thirty thousand dollars you know, and, and all my ideas are bigger. You know, I always try and go big. I don't want to do a slasher film where it all takes place in one house over the course of one evening with six actors. Hmm. I don't want to do a movie where it's, you know, although I do have one, um, but, you know, where it's four people trapped in a house throughout the duration of the film. Or, you know, something like a zombie film where all the zombies look the same and they've got black circles around their eyes and their faces <laughs> are painted white, you know. Yeah. And, and, and it takes place in, like, an abandoned farmhouse or, or a fucking, you know, abandoned building or something like that where we got to use it because we were shooting there at night. The owners didn't know about it or it's banned. <laughs> you know, I, I want to do something that's got the Hollywood production value to it, you know. So I'm trying to shoot movies for two dollars $300,000 or more. And it's just tough, you know. Like I said, like I've been saying all along, it's just fucking tough. But... If we don't get the storm budget, if nobody takes off with that, then like I said, by the end of 2012, I will shoot a feature, whether it's for 10 grand or 50 grand, I will shoot a feature. And I, I can't say if it's going to be the storm or not, because I don't know if I could do that for less than $100,000, but I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to get a feature length done because I know people want to see something. And my crew is itching, man. They want to do something. Wow. Especially after we shot this short film. 
everybody had so much fun on that, and it turned out so good that, uh, you know, everybody's just really excited to keep going. Man, well, uh, tell me about that. I mean, um, you've been shooting a lot, and of course, again, we we haven't been able to hook up, you know, in the past few weeks because you've been concentrating on this short. So, uh, what's that been all about? Well, a little while back, a couple months ago, I got a call from uh, a guy by the name of Ben Lewandowski, and uh, he's an independent filmmaker up in Milwaukee. He's done a couple features um, now, and and uh, you know, he's got that hardcore men- uh, independent mentality, you know shoot a whole feature for 2000 bucks type mm. of thing. And um, the big thing is that, you know, I had first heard of him through an actor that we mutually worked with, um, Tony Lee Grotz, who was in A Chance in Hell. He was one of the soldiers. And he was like, hey, you know, I'm working with this filmmaker, this guy Ben, up in Wisconsin here. And we're shooting a movie. And he's like, he wants to talk to you about collaborating on a project. So I said, all right, well, you know, tell him to give me a buzz. And... In the meantime, I went and checked out some of this guy's stuff, and his stuff looks great. I mean, you know, he's shooting with just a small handy cam, and, you know, it's not big, um, you know, big scale in terms of, like, production value, but I'll tell you, like, his trailers look really good, and, you know, again, what he's able to do with the little bit of money he gets for his budgets is pretty incredible. So, with all that being said, he's like, hey, you know, I, I, I've been seeing a lot of anthology films coming out lately, um, you know, this back in like February, which was when uh, VHS, which is the movie that, you know, Ty West and a couple other filmmakers, I think Adam Rifkin or a couple other guys all collaborated on. Um, and actually, I think Adam Rifkin was in the Chillerama uh, with Adam Green. But so, you know, you've got Chillerama that just came out. You've got VHS um, that that's, was huge at Sundance, I guess. And was huge at South by Southwest Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you know, I've been seeing what these guys are doing. He's like, I want to do the same thing. And, you know, he's like, I've talked to some other directors in the Chicagoland area, and he's like, I want us to do an anthology film, a horror film, that we each shoot a short film, we each produce our own short film, and, you know, we'll put them together and create a feature length. And, you know, I like the idea. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while, whether it would be a web series or an anthology or whatever. And the best thing about it was that since we're only producing a short, it's like you're not having to spend as much money to create a feature to be a part of a feature. So I was all for it. And as we further developed the project, you know, it was, all right, well, let's all shoot on the same camera so that the quality, you know, visually is the same. And so we brought on, you know, Rob Stern and, and his team of people to shoot it with the Red Scarlet camera. Nice. So it looks great. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we started developing different ideas of how it was going to play out and ended up settling on the title Chop Shop. Um, and because the Ben's, uh, Ben is doing the bridge story that kind of ties them all together, it takes place in the junkyard. And so the title Chop Shop was created by one of these directors, Jose Gomez, um, who's also a pretty pretty well-known independent Chicago uh, horror filmmaker. He did Blood White and um, Plastic, which is circulating the film festival circuit I've right seen now. Blood White, actually. That, that name sounded familiar to me, and that's why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he did that. I still haven't seen any of his movies, but I hear they're really, really quite good and that yeah. his writing is, is impeccable. Um so, you know, that's really cool. And 
And we've got a guy by the name of Tony Passarella who's on board and another director named John Wesley Norton who's done a bunch of different stuff um, as well. And uh, so, you know, the five of us basically teamed up and brought Rob and his team, uh, his partner Chris, who does audio, and uh, these other guys on board to shoot it with us. And um, we're all doing shorts. And I shot, mine was the first one to be produced. It's uh, called Grandma O'Malley's Pantry. And um, it's a movie that I've, I've had the script written for years now. And uh, it was originally going to be part of an anthology film that I had written back when I was in college called Sweet Dreams um, that I wanted to shoot on my college campus. And uh, so, you know, to finally be able to produce this short film uh, was just such a, uh, not relief, but it, it felt so good because I've been wanting to do it for years. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it, I could not have asked for it to have turned out any better. I mean, there's obviously little bits and pieces here and there. If we would have had an extra week to prepare, if we would have had an extra three days to shoot. But overall, it just turned out so well. It looks incredible. And the cast and the crew did such great jobs. And um, it's basically about a, a young girl, Casey, who uh, is spending the weekend with her estranged grandmother, who's just really, really weird. And you don't know why she's weird. And then as the story develops, you come to realize she's not quite what we think she is. Uh, and by what, I mean human. Um, cool. Yeah, it's it's very it's very much like as I started telling people about it, I kind of, to summarize it, was like, oh, you know, it's kind of a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood, but not. Um, <laughs> nice. It's just an easy way for me to kind of say something about it, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, and it's just, it, it's really cool. It's, it's got that magic. It's got that, you know, that whole sense of, you know, an adventure this little girl kind of goes on as she spends the weekend with her grandmother and, like, explores the grandmother's big old Victorian mansion, um, you know, and, and finds things and as the audience discovers things and tries to put the pieces together, like, you know, what is this woman really? And it's just got this this whole 80s feel to it. It actually takes place in the 80s. Um, you know, we did a period piece and we're able to you know, get an old car and, and the house is old, like I said, and, and all the wardrobe and props and everything are very aged as well. So um, <clears throat> it just it came together very well, and, and I'm really excited about it. And, and everybody has really said that the other four filmmakers are, are going to have, you know, a lot of work to do, um, you know, to make sure that they measure up to how good this one looks. So those compliments, hearing that from my crew is, is definitely uh, uh, a good thing. And, and it makes me very happy. But, you know, like I said, it also really got me itching to, to shoot something else because it was so much fun and everybody had such a great time on it. You know, you get in that mindset. I don't know if you've ever been on a movie set or helped with a movie before, but you mm-hmm. just you get on set and it's like a whole different world. It's And that's why you and I didn't talk because it's like you get on that set and it's like nothing else matters. You know, you forget right. about the bills you have to pay. You forget about the troubles in your life or your day job or anything. You just, you're working on that movie and it's 24 seven. And, and I just, I want to get back to that. You know, it's, it's like an addiction. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, this, this sounds great. And I, I know that your passion, man, just, just hearing you talk tonight, man, 
I know that uh, your passion, your dedication, and how much you just love the craft, how much you love horror, is just going to bleed into anything that you do. And uh, I know that you've been working a lot on this short, you know, just because of the, the correspondence that we've had. Um, and I can't wait to see it. And I hope that, uh, hope that a lot of us can see it here real soon. So thank you again yeah. for, for what you do, man. It's great. Well, it's we're great. hoping, uh, we're hoping to have Chop Shop completed and all five short films shot by, uh, by Halloween. So we can have a Halloween premiere and then submit it to, you know, some of the bigger festivals. So we'll see. But, uh, Again, I appreciate the compliments, and it's yeah. again, it's just great. It's great being able to sit and BS with another horror film fan, but at the same time, also, you know, find a new fan and someone who's willing to support us and and what we do. And you know, again, all I got is nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine to go, and I feel like <laughs> we'll be there. You know? Absolutely. Well, I urge anybody listening right now to go to scotchworthy dot com, uh, which is uh, your production company's website. Um, as well as uh, we we're talking about the storm that is at thestormmovie.net, and uh, you can find out more about what's going on. Is there anywhere else, Tony, that uh, we can go to to find out more about you or about uh, what you're doing right now? Well, I mean, you know, we got obviously a lot of stuff up on Facebook. Um, I, I don't promote Facebook as much as I used to promote MySpace, just because MySpace was so much easier to you know have a profile for uh you know for your company or for each project but we do have pages set up for the storm um it's just facebook at dot scott dot com backslash the storm movie um scotch has a page as well so there's a chance in hell um and chop shop also has a page so you know and people can find me too you know, I'm not one of those people who's like, I don't want to be friends with people I don't know. I, I could give two shits <laughs> if you, if someone came on there and was like, hey, you know, I, I listened to your to your podcast interview and I think you're really cool or whatever. You know, I, I'd love to be able to hear more, check out more of your shit. You know, you can find me on Facebook. Otherwise, um, scotchworthy.com is really the best place to go. You know, I, I've been trying to um, get the website as, as up-to-date as possible and so... You, know, you can find most of the updates there. You can buy merchandise, whether it be um, a DVD copy of, and it's a first edition DVD copy of, of our my first feature. It's my party, and I'll die if I want to, um, which many people might have seen on Netflix on Instant Play. Um, but the great thing about the DVD is that it's actually a choose your own adventure movie. So with the DVD, you can actually oh, wow. do the choose your own adventure uh, options with it. I love it. Um, and, uh, you know, other stuff like Storm T-shirts and <laughs> shit like that stuff. But uh, also a lot of our short films are on there, so you can watch those and, and see pictures of a lot of our work and stuff like that and contact us through there if need be. Um, but also, if there's independent filmmakers that are out there listening to this and you're looking for quality special effects work, we are not Hollywood, so we don't charge a million dollars to do what we do, um, you know. But if it's looking for someone to produce or direct your project or do special effects work for you, please take a look at some of our work and hit us up because, you know, we're just looking to collaborate and work with other talented people. And obviously my bottom line is one day I want to get paid to do this full time. So if I can get, you know, hired to, to do special effects on, on a movie, I'm all about it. Man, 
Why aren't you being paid like the millions, man? I mean, I, well, I live in Chicago. I mean, you know, it's tough. Yeah. You got to if I if I lived out in LA for the last 10 years, I'm I'm sure that I probably would have made enough connections. But it's tough out there, you know. You're yeah. one in a million. You're one in a billion practically and and uh out in LA. So it's hard to be like, "Oh, I'm a film director." Yeah. Because everybody's got a script. Everybody's directed a movie out there. And so I I want to I want to have another two or three movies under my belt before I start really soliciting myself in that city. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I do believe it's only a matter of time. And, and a lot of people tell me that too. And I appreciate your compliments and, and it, it humbles me because, you know, I, I'm just doing it because I feel like I'm good at it. And I feel like it's, it's in my heart. It's what I love doing. And it's, it's the thing I want to do. I don't want to, get a desk job. I don't want to, you know, I, I spent a little time getting my master's in teaching because I thought, well, maybe I can teach and, and make movies in the summertime. But, you know, it's it's just not, it's, you, you learn that it's not what you want to do. Yeah. And if you don't go after your dreams, you don't live a fulfilled life. So I'd rather, I'd rather keep struggling to pay my bills and make movies than, than get a job that, pays my bills and allows me to, to live my life comfortably, you know? Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And the, again, the dedication, the sacrifices that you're making to see that this horror thing is perpetuated and is, it, it has some sort of integrity to it. And, uh, so I appreciate it. And again, I know that everybody, so many people out there are listening right now, appreciate that also. It's it's been amazing meeting you tonight, and I I hope that we can talk again soon, man. Thank you, Corey. And, and anytime you want to talk, you know, just shoot me an email and say, hey, you got any updates? Do you want to talk about anything? And let's uh, let's set it up. It might take us three weeks to do it. But, oh hell, you know, <laughs> well, whatever we got to do, dude. With somebody like you, I, I literally it it doesn't matter to me. You know, you can uh, you know whatever your schedule allows. I certainly understand because you're you're very hardworking and. Uh, you know, just a, a pleasure to talk with. So let's do it again, cool. man. Have a good night. Thank you. You too, Corey. I say every house in America should have an electric chair. And every man just once in his life should sit in it. Just so that he can feel the power of millions of gallons of electricity flow through his veins. I got an electric chair. That's all I need. You get an electric chair, Sheldon. You don't have to worry about the audience. You get an electric chair, you can tell them anything you want, as long as it's real. You get yourself an electric chair, and it'll sit there all night long. Kind of a funny idea, sitting in an electric chair and doing a show. Well, think of the therapeutic value of an electric chair, and all the money it is. Yes, sir, an electric chair in every home. The Electric Chair, a show about horror. ElectricChairShow.com. Electric chair. Wow. And there you have it. Yes, this is the, this is actually the tenth episode, and I don't I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning of the show, but uh, ten shows already. 
thank you for listening. Uh, you guys have been great, and um, I'm having a great time with the show. Thank you. Thank you to Tony Wash, um, Scotchworthy Productions, and uh, please go find out more about him, support his projects, because uh, as you can tell, he's a great guy, and if you just watch some of the stuff that he does, it's really, really great. So um, I appreciate that he took his time out of his very, very busy schedule to talk to me. So yeah, awesome. Um, also, of course, uh, Heidi and Shannon from Viscera, the Viscera Film Festival is coming up here real soon. And uh, they just have a great, great passion for filmmaking and for really uh, promoting women in horror. And uh, again, they are super busy, especially this time of year. And they took their whole evening just to, just to talk with me. So that meant a lot. And I, I certainly, definitely appreciate that. It, it was fantastic. And last but not least, Nadine Lesperance, um, Blue Girl Films. Nadine, a very sweet person, and uh, is making some really fun films, and I uh, can't wait to see what she does next, and I, again, appreciate her time to speak with me here on the electric chair. Now, you can uh, send me in some feedback, either email me, Corey at MidnightCorey.com, you can uh, send in a voicemail, you know, dial right in, 206-337-5096, or uh, you can send me an MP3 through the website, or just email it to me. However, I love hearing from you guys, and I, I certainly appreciate that you take time to do that. So, there we go. I think that's about it. Thank you again for listening, and join me again next week for The Electric Chair. Whoa.